to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. Mel. Matt. And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. <laughs> and rolling around in the muck with us today, please welcome uh, f- her first appearance on the podcast, Carla. Hey, Carla! Hey. Hi, everyone. Hi. <laughs> I'm very nervous. <laughs> nervous? Is this your first podcast? Yes, I've never made a Skype call actually. Oh, okay. Oh, that's awesome. Well, tell us, tell us where you're from. Okay, uh, my name is Kyla. I am 18. I live in Brazil near São Paulo, oh, that's nice. near Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> and um, I'm a student, so and I love Deadwood. That's why I wanted to come here to talk about it with you guys. This is great. We're getting such an international flavor this season. I love it. When did you find us? Uh, I was going, uh, I was actually a big fan of Carnival. I heard your entire uh, Carncast. And then I was looking in the uh, Midway.com that uh, Matt did. And I talked to him about the site and he said that he was doing a Deadwood podcast. And I was like, oh my God, because Deadwood's my favorite show. And then I (laughs) wanted to come in here. That's great. Yep, that's right. I, I do remember that now. Yeah. Fantastic. And you sent in feedback previously. Uh, is that about re- is that correct? Uh, to our to our podcast, you sent in Yes, I sent uh two uh, previous three episodes I think. The fourth I can I couldn't because I was doing my tax returns <laughs> and uh I didn't have time to do it. I was a bit uh, negligent, but uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay. it was it was extremely articulate for an 18-year-old. And I say that having been in, having formerly been an eighteen, an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, that's not a common thing for an eighteen-year-old to do. But I'm, I'm a nerd, so I can deny it. Oh, join the rest of us. So tell us what you like about Deadwood. Uh, I love Deadwood. I love the writing, especially the costumes. I think they're gorgeous. Uh, the entire setting of the show is uh, like a work of art, actually. And I think every line has been perfectly uh, manufactured, I don't know, to sound um, uh, both accurate and uh, strong. So I think it's uh, as good as a TV show can get, uh, along with Mad Men and uh, Carnival and World of Empire. It's basically oh. perfect. I love it. But have you seen Twin Peaks? Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am keeping it for uh, July, now my next vacation. I'm going to watch Queen Pixies and Brothers, so... Uh, nice. Oh, look fantastic. Up, look up our podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Are we, are we ready to talk about a two-headed beast? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we have uh, one little bit of business first, and that's our Reader's Theater. I have something that I thought was, well, it's semi-appropriate. There's one line that relates to this episode, and the rest is kind of all over the place because it's like three different articles. But uh, comes to us from Emily. I will play it now. The following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times, July 27th, 1877, August 1st, 1877, and February 18th, 1880. If there is not a firebug hanging about the Bismarck stage crossing of the Belle Fourche, that section, at least the stage company's property, is singularly unfortunate. Four fires have occurred there within a very limited space of time, which seems to us cannot be attributed to accident. If these fires are accidental, the accidenter is extremely liable to be drawn over the coals right speedily. An officer of the stage company, who's visited the scene of these frequent conflagrations, 
spotted his man, and upon his return, Constable Charlie Spencer was dispatched there, and is expected to return with the suspected barn burner today. The individual who is spotted is said to be a trunk thief, and a bad man on general principles. Upon the morning of the great fire, it is alleged he loaded his wagon with stray trunks and stole out home by unfrequented roads, and for this offense a warrant has been issued for his arrest, and in all probability he is in charge of an officer at this writing. A fight occurred today at the brewery, next door to the post office, between the proprietor of the brewery and the iceman. It grew out of a settlement of accounts, and from the tussle the proprietor came out minus an eye, and the iceman had a double head. <laughs> Messrs. Richards and Davy, capitalists of Chicago, have gone prospecting. Destination unknown. They think they have got it. Insurance heavy. Taken out against Indians for this trip only. A company of three sharpshooters left Deadwood yesterday for the seat of war. They intend to stay for the Indians and in short time bring in some scalps. The big cake in the window of Gregory's restaurant weighs 200 pounds when Joe Shannon stands on the scales and holds it. <laughs> we have all kinds of legal blanks at this office for sale. Just pay for what you take next time. We mean you. C.M. Travers offers to walk his horse Mayflower for $250 with any horse in the hills to Crook City. General merchandise is cheaper in Deadwood than in many of our eastern cities. To a gentleman of this city who sent to John G. Whittier the reply of Mr. W.A. Crawford to the poem of Bishop A. Cleveland Cox on the Eastern War, the Quaker poet writes as follows, Dear friend, I thank thee for sending to me the excellent verses of Mr. Crawford in reply to the war-inciting bishop. It would be much better if our poets would oftener celebrate the bloodless victories of peace and goodwill. I am often reminded of the lines of Ossian. The battle ceased along the plain, for the bards had sung the song of peace. Ever thy friend, John G. Whittier. Something people don't do today is take out Indian insurance. <laughs> you never know when they're going to strike. Uh, they talk about bringing back scalps, like, as a matter of fact. Well, yeah, we're just, it's almost like a souvenir. We'll bring you back yeah. some scalps. It was a, it was a souvenir. Remember, Soapy was selling scalps. Oh, it's so weird. What do you do with them? <laughs> I what? You wear them? What do you What do you not do with them? Uh, I don't <laughs> you know. Talk to them. You talk to them. You put them in a box and you talk to them. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> hang Hang it from a from a piece of string. I don't know. Outside on your like a like a wind chime kind of thing. I don't. Who knows. Oh, the, same thing, uh, the same things people do with uh, animal skins, like uh, yeah. they have it just for, for having it. Savage, actually. So do people like, yeah. put a carpet of skins out in front of the fireplace and just like lounge on it? Oh, they lay on scalps. <laughs> God, God. They, they, I think they probably stuck them on the wall or something. With you know, yeah. like if they if they got some other souvenir, they would put them on it or something. You know, they make, they make a knotted rug out of the hair. <laughs> 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 Gross. I mean, there was also, you know, there was, you could get money for scalps at various points, as in the government would give you money for bringing a certain amount for a male, certain amount for female, certain amount for a child. Mm -hmm. It was a bounty on. Well, then why would, why would I sell them to you if I could get trade them for something? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe there was no market at that particular moment. So maybe it was just like to collect them for the, Yep. Like people collect yard rows or beanie babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like beanie babies. <laughs>
Uh, and then that last bit, that, that poem, um, well, was well, not a poem. well, no, it's John, John G. Whittier is John Greenleaf Whittier, who was an American poet. He was a Quaker. His first book, Legends of New England in Prose and Verse, was published in 1831. And from then until the Civil War, he wrote essays and articles as well as poems, almost all of which were concerned with abolition. He founded the Anti-Slavery Liberty Party in 1840. Then he helped to found Atlantic Monthly in 1857, which is a literary and cultural commentary magazine still published today. Cool. Wow. I'd heard the name, but I didn't know anything about him. While Whittier's critics never considered him to be a great poet, they thought him a noble and kind man whose verse gave unique expression to the ideas they valued. For his 70th birthday dinner in 1877, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Mark Twain, and Oliver Wendell Holmes attended. Wow. Wow. So he was very well known. And then I, I went down this history uh, rabbit hole <laughs> where I f- was looking up who all these other people were, who Mr. W.A. Crawford was. He was a journalist of wide experience. He wrote firsthand accounts of the Civil War. And I'll read this because it really reminds me of something that maybe our doctor would have seen in the Civil War. In 1861, he writes, Oh, God, what a hideous sight. Step into this gory tabernacle. You may grow pallid and faint, and some even of the strong-hearted do. Or you may find yourself cool and self-commanding, as I do, against my own anticipations. Amid such sights and scenes, I have known men who could walk up to a flashing wall of bayonets, unblanched, who would faint at the sight of suffering. That ghostly picture of carnage will ever be present before my eyes, and those half-smothered sobs and groans will always ring their dreadful chorus in my ears. May God purify the religion and warm the heart and quicken the conscience and open the eyes of the nation. He wrote that in a, when he was visiting a hospital mm. during the war. Mm. So I like to think that the doctor would have had a similar experience. Yeah. And yes, there are people who can go into battle, but when they see the aftermath, they can't handle it. So it's like the, you know, the adrenaline carries them through the battle, but then the aftermath. Yeah. Just, it's just too much. It's much worse. Oh, and the, uh, the element that reminded me of this episode would have been the fight at the brewery where the guy came out minus an eye. (laughs) In two heads? What? A double head. I guess that's, he, he was hit so hard on the head that he grew like a bump, right? Isn't that probably oh, where that comes from, double head? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Okay. That's what I figured. It's a little weird, though. Yeah, it's a strange expression. Yeah, it is. Weird expression. Well, thank you for reading that, Emily. You can hear more of Emily on the Yes Mother podcast, which is a Bates Motel podcast that I send feedback into. Also, Sue watches Buffy. Yes. Though they have finished Buffy and Angel, and they're going to start on Dollhouse now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got behind on their podcast. I... I... I enjoy them so much, but things have been kind of busy. Yeah, and they go long, too, about as long as ours. Of course, they also cover multiple episodes at a time, usually. Yeah, and they start really, when they're recording, they start really late at night. They do, because they're West Coast, like me. Right, exactly. Carla, what time is it in Brazil? Uh, Six o'clock, almost. Six o'clock. I am uh, one hour ahead of Eastern time. Yeah. Okay, great. It's pretty good time for me, so. Fantastic. And again, we're glad to have you here. Yes. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here.
This is episode 29 of Two-Headed Beast, written by David Milch, directed by Dan Minahan. Original air date July 9th, 2006. It is day. A large horror is in a bath. Con Stapleton is play-acting in her tits. Cy wants to know, since Al has an underling to re- represent him with her, should he do likewise? But Con is, let's just say he's occupied now because he's a sex addict now. He's decided. <laughs> decided. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, excuse me, sir, but I am a sex addict now. <laughs> I love how Cy just agrees with him that, yeah, no, that, that seems like you shouldn't be representing me. It's actually love- a very smart thing for Cy to decide. And I love how they call this sex. this is not sex he even found a horror that reminded him of Claudia we find out later her name is Claudia I've been calling her Rita Sue Rita Sue Mm -hmm. oh yeah that's right the same body type Mm. Mm. I just have done weird sex games so it's it's just yeah it's just weird yeah I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I don't know Next time I'm called in for a meeting at work, I'll have to be, I'm sorry, I'm a sex addict now. I'm, yes. <laughs> I just can't make it. You understand, right? Let us know how that goes. I'm really <laughs> curious. <laughs> I know it wouldn't go well at school. David Milch writes, I think there is something infantile for males in being with a whore. There's a scene in the middle of the third season where Stapleton is fixated on this one big-toted whore in the Bella Union, and he's talking to her tits. He's acting like a little boy. I've actually, I've heard that before, though, like, from, like, uh, accounts I've just read or whatever from people that are actually whores. They're just like, oh, yeah, like, some men just want them to be, like, a mother to them and mm. weird stuff like that. Like, they just want to be held. They just want to be held like little babies. Can you fix me a grilled cheese sandwich? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> can I have a grilled cheese sandwich, please? <laughs> and then I'll eat it off your body. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. <laughs> That's funny. My my mind went to the same thing. <laughs> it's the most like childlike food. <laughs> A hot dog, <laughs> grilled cheese sandwich, or fruit snacks. Yes, fruit roll ups. Like, fruit- go get me some fruit roll ups. These fruit snacks off my body. Can you open the fruit roll ups for me? <laughs> <laughs> so what what would be the childhood food in Brazil, Carla? Uh, I don't know. Popcorn? I don't know. <laughs> that works too. It's amazing. <laughs> we eat basically the same stuff as you do. Like uh, there's some different uh, kind of sweet uh, dishes. I think are are more common here than 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 because of, of coconuts, for example. And uh, we do a lot of uh, brigadeiro. That's uh, condensed milk with chocolate. A lot of that. That that's that's childhood food. Actually. Okay. So that's something that a mom would make for her children. Certainly. As a sort of a comfort food. When they come with straight A's or (laughs) it's rainy and they can play outside. It's very good, actually. What about just something for lunch? Uh, A normal lunch, like a a rice and beans and Uh uh, steak and salad. Uh, We eat a lot of feijoada, actually, and uh, anything with corn, like... uh, like this stuff, uh, rice and beans. Actually, that's that's lunch for us. Is okay. It, is it Brazil where kids are given coffee at a young age? <laughs> yeah, like uh, five years, a five year old. Uh, we drink coffee here in the morning and after lunch. Yeah. And before like uh, six o'clock, like we just had coffee here. So I don't know why. I don't know why we don't do that here in North America. Hmm. 
although I've had kids who are like from the Dominican Republic or whatever, and some of them, it literally got to the point where I was like, did you have coffee this morning? It's like, yeah, (laughs) please stop having coffee in the morning. Please stop. Because they just, you know, they would be like bouncing off the walls. It was like, no, stop the caffeine. Don't eat it. Hurst asks for dirt on Alan's side, but Silas feigns ignorance on that front. He says if he swears loyalty to Hurst, he'll sound like a liar on that score. Hurst suggests he may have to win Silas over to his side, though he guesses it won't be a quick transition. And we also have Captain Turner wanting Silas to deliver a message to Dan, saying, Tell your friend I know he's afraid of me. (laughs) Yeah. And they both act like little kids, Captain Turner and Dan is so... Yeah. Kind of ridiculous, actually. Yeah. Welcome to the mentality of the time. (laughs) And still to some degree. Um, so does it, did everybody else? I mean, my feeling was that, you know, Hearst was making it clear that he just wasn't buying it, that, that, uh, he doesn't believe that Psy is, um, gettable, that he's. You mean Silas? Silas, I mean Silas. Um, yeah, I keep forgetting what variation of Psy his name is. I had Sykes, I couldn't remember. Um, Silas, he just wasn't buying it from Silas at all, and he's he's totally sure that that anything coming out of him is a put up job by Al. Well, we missed the the introduction there, and and how he came to be in the room. Was yeah. He- was he invited by Hearst into the room? Did he just show up and say, hi, I want to work with you? Like, that seems like an obvious ploy. Although he, he said something like, is that why I'm, is that why I'm here? Or something like that. So I got the feeling that Hearst called him. It transitioned into the, the discussion of Silas's loyalty. Somehow mm-hmm. that conversation went that direction and we missed that turn. Like, so I don't know how. In any case. It seemed like that's where it was starting. It seemed like that was... Yeah, I mean, we were coming in the middle of the conversation. But, yeah. A little weird. Aunt Lou has cooked something for Hostetler that feels us to deliver. If he'd get off his ass and start to walk in, the duo are once again bound for Oregon. Well, what do you think the point of that scene was? I mean, that's the only time she was seen. And, I mean, just to say that they were going to Oregon? Or just to make sure we remember that she's she's there? I think that might be the case. She wasn't yeah. in the previous episode, and they wanted to yeah. remind us that she's there, perhaps show how minorities in a camp can find each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I their, thought. Mm. Their mutual collaboration with each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like she was adding, like, a, a may God be with you, something like that, like a mother for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. At the number 10, Steve fell asleep and knocked over a spittoon, so Tom Nuttall poured its contents over his head. Now Steve is washing. Deserves it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> he deserves whatever he gets. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's you know it's just going to make him a worse person. Whatever befalls him, Yeah, he's just going to blame it on everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, so so what- it's almost like you don't want anything bad to happen to him, because he's just going to, like, ugh, it's just going to be horrible. <laughs> What minority will he find responsible for having, for him having kicked over the spittoon? Exactly. <laughs> well, he's yelling at some Chinese here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because they were in this, his presence. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that takes. Mm-hmm. 
I wish you could jail someone for being racist. (laughs) 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 Just, like, put them away, because they're obviously a friggin' menace to society, you know? (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we had these First Amendment protections and shit here. (laughs) You can't do that. (laughs) I know, to mention that you can't treat someone like a human, like, why are you even out and about, you know? You guys can't jail someone for being racist. (laughs) (laughs) You can? can. Yeah. What? Uh, What? uh, Yeah. Like, uh, and it's, uh, it's something that's very, uh, uh, taken seriously here. And, huh. uh, I didn't know that yet. Huh. That's interesting. How? Do you have, do you have any examples of this happening? I, I'm sorry, no, I have no uh, history <laughs> of, uh, but I know, I know that can happen. Like, uh, ah, I have a neighbor actually that once, uh, called the police because someone was talking to his son, something like that. And the, the police came and, and the guys was in jail because uh, the guy was in jail because the it is a small town. This kind of stuff doesn't doesn't happen very often. But uh, in a uh, big a big city, if you are if you treat someone ra- with racist, you go to jail or you answer with some kind of indemnization, you know, some uh, payment for the family. But it's a serious crime. Actually. What what would constitute something that would get you into jail? I mean, or, you know, that would you could call the police on. Yes. What uh, would the person have someone, to do? Discriminating someone racially, like you come in my restaurant and I won't serve you because you're a black or because you are an Asian or an Indian, something like that. Okay. Now, okay. that is illegal here because that's a protected class and, and that's an actionable offense. So yeah, you won't go to jail. You could find, yeah. yeah, threatening, threatening a child or defamation or like these are like actionable yeah. thing, actionable things. But just kind of um, talking to somebody and using uh, insults, terms. racial uh-huh. terms would um, be protected speech. Yeah. No, this year, if you act like that in a store and you say, and there are witnesses, you you can you can go to jail. That's wow. It would almost constitute as verbal abuse, though, when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Moral and, and verbal abuse. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote in my notes, a shirtless Steve? No fucking thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of shirtless in this. In I this was going to say, we should have done a, for a miscellaneous prediction, a shirtless men count, because we yeah. would have been up there. Well, Unfortunately, sh- not sad, but <laughs> could be... Could have been one of the handsome men, but no. <laughs> Merrick interviews Alma at the bank while she plays with a plant. <laughs> she oh, says her bank God. is local and backed by her goals, so depositors ought to have confidence. She's basically telling him what he needs to write for his article. And Trixie right. watches as Alma reclines, and she goes, oh, with satisfaction. <laughs> and Alma is acting very loosey-goosey right now, and Trixie is suspicious. Uh-huh. Oh, she's more than suspicious. <laughs> she made her decision. <laughs> she's looking up at the ceiling, going. Speaking, da, of, da, da. speaking of infantile, right? That Alma just turns right infantile when she's saying. She's like seeing colors and stuff all yeah, over the place. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of happy high, not the, the kind of high she was in season one. Yeah. Like she was all quiet and sad, and now she goes like. Ah. I'm floating on a cloud. I'm confused as to why she's getting high, because I thought her life was going pretty good. She's addicted. She lost her child. 
Yeah, but then she got a bank. Like I got the feeling that it was because she wanted to loosen herself up. Huh. For Ellsworth. Because because of later that scene with Ellsworth, yeah. like she's like trying to get him to have sex with her. You know how pretty proper they were back then, you know, they couldn't really be like you know, like she could be that passionate with Seth, I guess, because but even then they were still really held back. So I feel like maybe if she feels that she can like loosen up, then she can get him to come after her. But obviously, it didn't work. I thought it was a, it was the other way around because <laughs> she back when she was high in the beginning, she uh, she was you know there was that whole thing where she was very very sexual and she's doing that again. So I thought she. Um, she was interested in Ellsworth because she was she's high. Uh, high again, you know. Yeah. You think? And that, yeah, I think so. And I think that's one reason Ellsworth rejected her. I Maybe. think he figured it out. But I mean, yeah. So then, why would what would the reasoning be then? I think she just got addicted when she was when she was on the meds from the doctor. And she told the doctor, "I have a weakness for this. I can't." I don't want to take this. And he said, you know, just trust me. And she knew her own limitations. Mm. And now she's addicted again. And she's she feels like she's back in that same situation that she was with Brom. She's married to a man that she doesn't love. She's not attracted to. Now, she likes Ellsworth more than she likes Brom. But she's not really attracted to him. And the only reason she married him was really because she was going to have this baby. And she needed a father for the baby. And now she doesn't have the baby, so she's trapped again. Mm. So she has to make herself high to to cope. See, so yeah, I was prob- probably I yeah, I was probably looking too much into the relationship thing. I was like, so they haven't had sex yet, I think. So maybe no. she's trying to, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I, what is she trying to do here? Like, I wasn't sure. I was looking too much into it. I thought she was. I I truly thought. You know, and I might be totally wrong on this, but I thought she was, you know, the the addiction was a physical addiction. As you said, she knew her limitations. And the thing is that the doctor, she stopped taking the doctor's advice and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's almost like she, I, I got the feeling he was ready to walk her through it. If she did end up addicted again, he was ready to walk her through it. But instead, she denied that she was still taking the medication to him and purposely took it, I assume, just because it feels good. Yeah. And she says in that interaction with the doctor, like, thank you, doctor. Goodbye. Like in such an upbeat kind of mood. Mm -hmm. That's your first clue that something may not be right. Right. She's in denial about something. I've got a couple of comments here from Molly Parker. This one references the previous episode, but I held on to it because at the time we hadn't confirmed that she was back on the laudanum. Mm-hmm. Okay. But she says, there's a wonderful scene in the third season where Alma has set things up with Leon. He's going to come over to her house and they're going to do the deal. She's waiting, looking out the window, and she looks over and there's her husband and her child sitting in front of the fire playing checkers. Ellsworth turns to her and looks at her and smiles the smile of I love you. And Alma, for the first time, is able to smile that smile back at him because she knows in 10 minutes she's going to be high. Hmm. <laughs> and then she also says, Molly Parker, 
I thought Alma's marriage to Ellsworth was an absolute brilliant stroke on David Milch's part, because it's not what the audience wants. They want her and Bullock to get together, because that's hot. Having Alma marry Ellsworth does a few things for her. It's her evolution as a good human being, as somebody who is willing to sacrifice some of her own happiness in order to have her daughter be happy. And she has to do something if she's gonna not going to abort this baby. Because it's 1877, and it's unacceptable for a woman to be pregnant and single, and because she can't humiliate Bullock's wife in this way. But the third reason that she does it, the most interesting reason, is that it puts her in a position to get high again. You can set things up so that your day goes badly, and that by the end of it, you're like, fuck it, I deserve a cigarette. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Okay. Justifying it for yourself. Mm-hmm. I, the one thing I don't, I, I, hmm, the idea that she kind of planned on being able to get high as one of the reasons she got married to Ellsworth seems a little weird. It does seem a little like, like she was planning too far in advance, her downfall. Not only that, she she was. I just realized, you know, she was con- she was concerned about becoming addicted again. So, you know, I mean, she made a big deal to the doctor about it. So that doesn't seem quite quite right. Doesn't quite right. lo- not yeah. very logical. That I thought so. To, I thought yeah. so too. But I do like that last part of that statement where you can set things up badly so that by the end of it, you're like, well, I deserve a reward then. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're already, once you're already addicted, you can set Mm -hmm. things up so that it's like, yes, I deserve this Mm -hmm. now. Yes, absolutely. So I thought that, that was interesting, but Mm I, again, yeah, I don't really buy that she married Ellsworth specifically so that unless deep, deep down in her subconscious, which I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's always deep down in your subconscious. I love her playing with the plant. I love her little wave to Merrick. Uh-huh. Her just her. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I loved was how how um, I mean she had a really good point about why people should bank there and and everything. I mean it was actually she was really selling it well, considering she was high as a kite, you know. And wow, but Trixie is perceptive. Oh yeah, well Trixie knows the signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she knows Alma, too, because she's, mm-hmm. she went through it with her. Yep. Silas tells Al of his meeting. Dan is ready to kill Captain Turner. He's been called out, and he's antsy to get going. He probably feels like the more Al delays, the bigger he looks a coward. Mm-hmm. Hostetler's in the hardware store, and Steve's at the number 10. Seth fires his gun in the air, and they both sign the document. The document that's Hostetler signing the livery over to Steve. So ridiculous. Yeah. Such production. That's absurd. <laughs> I mean, how how long did it take them to organize all those people? Okay, you'll have this person in with you, and you'll have that person in with you, and I'll stand here. It's just so ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. They could have just said, sign sign the document, and I won't tell you if the other person's already signed or not. <laughs> just have to <laughs> they, trust me. You know that they wouldn't have gone with that, neither one of them. They're both too pig-headed. Well, how about this is the document that the other guy signed and that was like a forgery just to trick the other person <laughs> into doing it. There's the yeah. egos on these guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Merrick reads his article about the bank to Blasi. They see a body with a knife in it dumped on the ground. Merrick covers the body with his coat. Sad parp. <laughs> Corey said something about that guy. Oh, on the Facebook group? On the Facebook group. He said, like, he said that it was, uh, 
He was killed by me. It looks because, like Mel got to him. Because he didn't send him <laughs> feedback. <laughs> That'll show him. It is my style, I suppose. That'll show him. <laughs> That'll show you all. Yeah. Yeah, you thought she was joking. Ha! 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 There's a commentary track for this episode with W. Earl Brown, who plays Dan, Sean Bridgers, who plays Johnny, and Jim Beaver, who plays Ellsworth. Don't listen to this commentary track because it spoils things for the end of the season, because they recorded this after the the season had wrapped and they had been canceled and... They just assumed if you bought the DVD at this point, you were you had already seen the show. That old that's how they used to record commentaries. Just the assumption that you've already seen everything. But in the commentary, they they mentioned the CGI throughout the show mm-hmm. because those trees that you see when they're walking down the thoroughfare, the big like pine trees in the background, that's all CGI. Wow! So that was all put in there digitally. Interesting. And Jim Beaver was saying, like, yeah, I would go back to the set and be like, where are these trees? Like, I don't remember these trees. Like, I've been <laughs> filming there for months and, like, I don't remember the trees. I have to pay closer attention. <laughs> At the Bella Union, Cy suspects Leon has been buying drugs for others, which is why he has this guilty look. But he hasn't been buying for Lila, because that's like stealing from Cy. Rather, he's been buying for the cunt at the bank. And this is our confirmation that, yes, Alma is on the dope again. Poor Alma. I am disappointed. I was wondering if he was going to think that, that the guy was talking about Trixie at first. Hmm. That could be. But he knows who he's talking about. Yeah. I'm sure. I wonder how Alma approached Leon. <laughs> yeah. I never so saw that scene. So Yeah. That would have been a really interesting scene. I mean, <laughs> how awkward could it have been? I kind of would have liked to have seen it, but I also like the sort of unraveling mystery of that she's been high all this time and we're we're just sort of picking up little clues. So that's, plus it's very Deadwood style to come into the middle of something. Mm. The knifed man's name is Pasco. It is the Cornishman who talked of organizing against Hurst. He's the one in the, the cell. He was crying earlier because his friend Jory had been pushed against the wall when the the lift was coming up out of the mine and he oh, had right. his like legs chopped off. Like that was the guy in the cell that was crying and he was afraid that it would happen to him and it has. Yep. Seth becomes very upset and he storms off to report to Al. Seth wants to beg off his agreement with Al not to stir the pot because Seth doesn't want to look a coward. And Al says, I am no coward. Silas encourages Seth to wait. Al has a plan, probably, maybe. Everyone wants to act against Hurst and Al Al is hesitant. He doesn't want to jump into anything. And he goes upstairs and he talks to the chief. And he asks the chief, when the men were advancing on your teepee, didn't you just want to understand? Al doesn't understand. I'm glad uh, he still got, still got the chief, though. I think it's very interesting the way all sinks because it's like a game of chess. Like, uh, Hearst moves a piece, and then he's like, uh, what does he want to do with it? And um, most strategy in the show is about uh, just like chess. And yeah. I think it's funny that uh, all doesn't play it. None of them play it. And they would really be good players because <laughs> they think like ten, 10 steps ahead and he couldn't figure out what person wanted. Even think so so deeply about it. Which shows that Hurst uh, sometimes is uh, smarter than, than all. What I can't quite figure out is why what Al doesn't understand. I mean, it seems like, you know, Hurst wants... To be in charge, absolutely and completely. And 
I'm not quite sure what what I'm what I'm missing that Al is wondering about. Is Al not privy to information that we have? That Hearst is leaving, or well, no, that like we ha- we were in the room with him and Alma. Yeah, that's at, true. And Al wasn't, and we know Hearst's backstory regarding Ellsworth, and Ellsworth has this big beef that Hearst sent men into the mines at the Comstock, and then the mine collapsed, and men were killed, and everyone has this like opinion of George Hearst, and maybe Al hasn't formed it yet because he doesn't have all this backstory yeah it's that's true we have heard in that last couple things we have heard hearst say a few things to confidants and such that might be helping us yeah that's a point i think if i was al i would i would know like what this guy was about that he wants to buy everything and take he took the hotel he knocked down the walls of the hotel and calling out for, for them on the street, allowing uh, Captain Turner to call out for them. Like, what's the purpose of that? Like, just uh, for, for show? For, and I, I was very intrigued about it's, this kind of behavior. I don't know. It's dominance and stuff. And that, I, it seems like Al would understand that. Not that he would necessarily relate to it, because I think Al is a lot more practical, but uh, running, running, whores and stuff i mean dominance and that kind of stuff you know that's a pretty common male desire yeah and you would think that al would be kind of tuned into that yeah i i agree maybe he just thinks that there's something more like like this guy can't possibly be this this smart and this powerful and everything and still and this successful and still have these petty things that Al kind of outgrew a long time ago. That's a good theory. Maybe, maybe yeah. he's just, maybe he's just overestimating Hearst. Hearst, yeah. You know, and looking for something. That's like not sometimes, fair. That isn't yeah, there. Yeah. Sometimes people make things more difficult than they are. They look for, for solutions to problems that just aren't, you yeah, know. Yeah, he's used it to overthinking everything, every move that he makes. That he doesn't think something as natural as, as dominance and this kind of stuff would happen to a guy as Mark as hers, but it is because it's uh, nature, like the, the male, the male dominance that he needs. So uh, all overthinks all that, and he grows exhausted, and then he overthinks even more and even more. Like it's a no. vicious cycle. I don't know. Yeah, it might be it. There's also, I think there's one extra element to Hearst that maybe Al doesn't understand, which is the need to take everything. Because mm-hmm. Al wants to be successful and he wants to make money and he wants to, but he wants to also wants to grow the camp and create relationships and sort of expand things because he, I think he uh, subscribes to the philosophy that a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing, even though he wants to be at the top. But, but Hearst wants everything and he's not satisfied. And he has so much. And he just wants to take, 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 take. And maybe Al doesn't understand that. Yeah, yeah. I of... mean, yeah. Isn't Al, Al the exact same way, though? No, I don't think he is. No, no I don't think he is. Al, among other things, Al has has put his his life into this place. You know, this is basically Al's home. And and so he wants the place to succeed, and he wants the himself and you know he wants to be at the head of it but he wants the town to succeed the town succeeds they give him money he succeeds hearst 
just wants to bleed a place dry and leave. Mm. So it's there's like a, a predator. He likes he, yeah. he feeds off uh, taking stuff uh, of people. So it's very much more vicious than than our uh, view of the world, like growing and getting stuff, not cooperating, but basically stealing, uh, taking it off of them. Uh, with violence, with intimidation, with everything that he has to to take it off people just because he likes it. I think so. Steve, at the bank, he has signed for the loan and given the deed to Alma to hold until he has repaid the loan. So if he doesn't repay, she owns the livery. She offers specie or currency to Hostetler. And as far as I can tell, specie means coins. So I think she's asking, do you want it in dollars or gold? Hostetler says gold. Yeah, that's what it means. And of course you'd want the gold because, you know, dollar bills are very easy to counterfeit back then. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a stupid question, Alma. Of course he'd want the gold. (laughs) (laughs) Alma encourages the men to shake, but even though Steve is a bit cowed by Alma, he will not. He does hope Hostetler returns the board that he was made to sign, before Hostetler and Fields disappear to Oregon. Did you guys remember what the board was about? I was trying to remember. I remember it was stupid. They made him write something (laughs) disparaging about himself? The horse fucker? Yeah. Yeah, I think that might be it. Yeah, yeah. There was, it was uh, stupid, whatever it was. I fucked Bullock's horse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Of course it was stupid. Something stupid. It's, it's Steve. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> so, yeah. That's all I remembered was that it was a ridiculous thing that had no bearing on anything. Because we all had said, like, oh, you know, anybody could have written that. And, it, you know, it's like, what? So it's... Steve's just such an idiot. <laughs> he, he, but he does try to turn the charm on here when he's oh, smiling yeah. to Alma. <laughs> the look on her face. <laughs> he's like, yeah. You want to get with Steve? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's happy because he's getting something. But right. like, he's just not satisfied. Like You got, you were talking about how you'd want to give Steve things to keep him from exploding. But you give him things. And he's not satisfied. No, he's never happy. Never happy. Never. He's a miserable never. cocksucker. Yeah. He's a spoiled child. Mm. I feel like his parents never said no to him, so he feels like he's <laughs> entitled to everything. And when he doesn't get his own way, he freaks out. But if you talk to him, he'll tell you that his parents never gave him anything, and that's why. Mm. Oh, probably. Because he was never given anything. Mm. Then, of course, you find out that, you know, he probably was given all kinds of stuff, but... Yeah, just not enough. Never enough. Yeah. Yeah. E.B. arrives at the gem. He again feels left out. He misses their morning coffee. Al tells E.B. that Hearst has made him inside a two-headed beast to savage whatever comes out of the elections. Hearst is also pitting Turner against Dan and making statements by planning union organizers in the thoroughfare. Alice confounded. He understands that Hearst will buy what he can and break what he can't, but he doesn't understand why. I don't know if I feel bad for E.B. ever. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Well, E.B. was saying, I-, I didn't want to sell the hotel. He made me. <laughs> and I just stayed there to work because what else am I going to do? I feel a little bad for E.B. He was pressured into selling that hotel. Yeah, but he... Hearst is, Hearst is scary, so... He got a price for it. He could have, you know, taken that money and invested in a different business and moved on or whatever. Probably could. Maybe he just felt like he was too old to make that commitment, starting another business. Well, I don't feel too bad for you, B. Uh-uh. 
Also, we get our episode title here. Yeah. The title could also refer to the, the fight of Captain Turner and uh, Dan, because they are basically uh, two beasts, mm. two heads. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, you've got a point. The way Dan, the way Al used it was a kind of a weird way to, you know, use that expression. And downstairs, Johnny is very frustrated and yells at Davy, who is tending the auxiliary bar. <laughs> I like how yeah. Johnny feels like he has power now somehow. Yeah. yeah, there's somebody newer than Johnny. Yeah. The auxiliary bar. Auxiliary bar. <laughs> <laughs> The last two members of the acting troupe arrive. One is bedridden inside the coach. The older man, Chesterton, says this is his last camp. And Jack replies, as it may be for us all, young man. Mm. Yeah. I like that he kept calling him young man. Yeah. As much as I like Jack, I I don't think there's real purpose or, or nice stuff about these theater people. Like, this old guy now arrives and uh, they're all talking about his illness, but... Uh, I don't know. I don't see the real reason they are there. Like how much they add to the story. Do you guys like their their part of the show? I yeah. Don't know. Yeah, they haven't done much yet. I yeah, like. Yeah, they haven't done like, much. They just hang around. I I guess for me it's kind of a wait and see what's going on. They're you know they're an interesting group, but um, you're right. They haven't done much yet. Are you telling us that they aren't going to do much? No, no, I'm just saying that so far they haven't uh, added anything really interesting to the show. And when they came in, I was like, what's happening? What are these people? Why are, you, why are they getting so much screen time? Because I don't, I don't think they're very nice or interesting. Yeah, hopefully this was, like they weren't supposed to be just set up this se- this season. And then we'll really get into it next season. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that would be a shame. I think they do give a little bit of a different, it's almost like a reality check because um, we're seeing one particular kind of person and then, you know, this very different kind of person shows up and it kind of reminds us that there's a world out there. Yeah. Different kind of world. Some sort of uh, sophistication or, I don't know, a different business than there was there and uh, people are interested in the money that's going around the camp, so eh, I think that's it. Yeah, when he says there's money to be made and such, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that's right. This is a there are people coming here to see how much money they can make off the the miners who are most of whom are just getting by. Right, but they're starved for entertainment, and historically, mm-hmm. they were there. Jack Langridge oh, yeah. is a real person who was there. So yeah, as for whether or not their story like goes anywhere, I mean, right now they're just sort of setting up shop right so we'll see but we do know that uh david milch gets distracted very easily and he sees he (laughs) seizes upon like background players and creates characters for them to give them little story lines like richardson when there's the show's already overflowing with characters and he can't support them all by giving them all storylines which is why we haven't seen the doctor very much or martha very much like you could do a whole show a whole or a whole episode of like what's Martha doing the day, during the day and make it really interesting, but mm-hmm. he's got like a thousand different things he wants to do and doesn't have time to do all of them. Mm, good and point. I, so I think maybe the theater company is like, I gotta do, I gotta do the theater company, and I really like this actor and this actor. So let's bring him onto the show and him onto the show. They, it may not necessarily go anywhere, 
but I like the dynamic that they bring. It's another sort of facet to camp life, which I really find interesting. Yeah. And I remember as long as I, one of the things I remember from school and learning about this era and everything was there was always that line in every book that the people who made the most money in the camps were usually the people selling the miners stuff. You know, the hardware store, the, the, uh, the brothel, the, you know, wherever. And, uh, so you have all these different groups that, you know, basically historically were always there and were always the ones that were, who actually in the long run made more money than most of the miners did. The actor who plays Bellegarde is Dennis Christopher, who's been in a lot of stuff, but he was in three episodes of Angel. See the younger man? Yes. What episodes, what did he play in Angel? He played a character called Sivas Vale, who was a demon and powerful sorcerer, member of the Circle of the Blackthorn. Oh, he yeah, was like I sort of him. like the the bad guy right at the end of the series. Yeah, he was semi unrecognizable because of the makeup. Oh, the makeup is insane on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cyrus Vale was was covered in makeup. Al cannot figure out the angle of Hearst's trial by combat, so he gives Dan permission to fight Turner. It's almost yeah. like a what the hell. I didn't really understand. Yeah, I didn't really understand. Like, why is this happening now, and it never happened before? Is there a reason? What do you mean? What do you mean? The they've invite? wanted to do- they've wanted to do this forever, and now they're just like, yeah, sure, whatever. One possible theory is that Al's trying to figure out a way out, a way not to have the two men fight. I'll read this quote from David Milch. The third season is rough. It gets physically rough. There's an epic fight between Dan Doherty and Hearstman Captain Turner. They are champions who represent their masters, and both men are stripped bare in the course of the fighting. Swearingen takes the whole episode trying to figure out why this fight is going to take place and to come up with a reason not to let it happen. He can't figure a way out. He should be able to figure things out and then act. Maybe he just doesn't want to see his guy hurt. Perhaps he's looking for a way to placate George Hurst so he doesn't have to lose Dan. And he just can't. There was a very definite possibility that Dan was not going to survive that. Matt and Mel did a commentary track for this episode, and Matt was convinced that Dan was going to die. He, <laughs> like, at least he was fearing that it would happen. Yeah, I was uh, like, I, why else would we be, t- would we be watching this uh, with a commentary? You haven't done one in a while, and it's nice content for the feed. <laughs> yeah, I have a note here. Is this the end of Dan? Because there was a point there during the fight where I was like, oof. But uh, it was just before the no ick. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what that refers to. (laughs) Dan lathers grease on himself or something. so gross. Uh, On the commentary, W.O. Brown says it's KY jelly with food coloring. Oh. (laughs) And that it was very uncomfortable. Oh, I'll bet. Johnny tries to sabotage Dan's confidence by saying, drop down if it goes wrong and I'll blow the captain's head off. And Dan says, don't you dare. Yep. So what was the purpose of like him slathering himself like that? Was it to make himself kind of slippery? or what? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I asked my brother, and he said that uh, UFC, uh, UFC fighters do that, uh, but in their faces, because the, the punch slips, and it yes. doesn't uh, hit with so much strength, as much strength as it would if it were. But he applied it in his chest, yeah. <laughs> and 
inside his pants. I don't know why. He was, I guess he was maybe thinking that, like, this guy would fight dirty and, like, rip his shirt off and maybe, like, tug at his junk or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would also, it would make it hard for the guy to get a a grasp of him, too. I mean, if he grabs his, even if he grabs his shirt, his shirt is going to be sliding around on his body. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you know the the dogs that have like a lot of skin, yeah, like a, yeah. and all, and it's so that if a predator grabs a hold of them, they can't. It's the same with like a cat, a cat pooch, like the their bellies are all loose and <laughs> jiggly, uh-huh. you know, yeah. to prevent them from being uh being uh disemboweled or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. yeah. And only Matt will understand this, but it also reminded me of a con from Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> taking <laughs> yeah, a big. Oh yeah, I guess Mel would understand it as well. <laughs> There's a character in the in the fighting game Street Fighter for those of you who are listening to this podcast and don't know who is a Turkish oil wrestler, and he takes this big vat of oil and he pours it over himself to make himself all slippery, and then he just slides around the stage. It's gross. It is. It's it's very gross, but it's also pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I see Dan doing that, and that's what re- it reminds me of. It kind of reminded me of when we used to have the uh, greased watermelon um, thing at the end of the season for a swim team. Where it was like water polo with a greased watermelon. What? <laughs> they they put a watermelon's float, right? So yeah, yeah. they put a greased watermelon. It was in a lake. And they put a greased watermelon in the middle of the pool. And then you'd have two teams. And each team would try and get the watermelon down to the other end. But it's greased. You can't hold it it would just slide right through your hands so everything was it was like this water polo match with um with a greased watermelon strange. <laughs> i i looked at dan and i'm all i could think of was a greased watermelon but is this what people do for fun in new jersey um when i was a kid yeah it was one of the things <laughs> yeah, it was a party end of the year party grease up that watermelon yep 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 I've heard of trying to catch a greased pig. Yeah, I think it was the same idea. Yeah. I, I mean, that's also, it's done the same kind of way. It's like a, you know, rural type thing. Well, my town was pretty rural back then. Come scare me in the thoroughfare, says Dan's note. Turner is warming up. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Doing some stretching. Yeah, some calisthenics. He's a little bit more limber than I gave him credit for. Yeah. Just a little. <laughs> so I still bad. gave all the the uh, odds to Dan, like in a real fight, not like written. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was. Yeah, I had the same feel when he was warming up. I was like, hmm, he seems stiff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he seems Maybe. also seems really muscly, though. He seems very. Well, yeah, tense. I think I think that was what his a combination of um, muscly and. Willing to uh, fight dirty, which Dan was too. So he's also very cocky because yeah. George Hurst is like, remember that fight back in wherever, and like, oh, that was not like that was a fight. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah talking like that to Hurst, it shows how how confident you are about your own your own strength. <laughs> yes. I think. Yep. Yeah, he says yeah. that was a fight, and Turner says, "Not how I remember." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I interpreted what Hurst was saying that he wanted he wanted the captain or whatever his rank was to um to extend the fight and you know 
really beat down on Dan, not make it quick, to really make it gruesome or whatever. Yes, because his follow-up line is, an object lesson to every man watching. Exactly. So, yes, make it gory, make it last a long time, make sure everyone understands that this is what happens when you cross me. Mm Mm-hmm. Gross. Yeah. Well, the stagecoach rolls by, and that's the signal to go at it, and boy, do they. And it involves a lot of grappling, a lot of thudding punches. Dan has his face bitten yeah. and is nearly drowned in mud and whatever else. Did he have a mark from that? I didn't notice one after, from having his face bitten. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he stands up, he has this big gash on his cheek. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't sure that either. I was, like, looking for something. At first, I thought he was biting his ear. Um, but then I, you know, I just wasn't sure what he, what had gotten bitten. He nearly has his brains bashed in. Yep. Finally, uh, there is some eye gouging and Captain Turner crawls away screaming because his eye has basically been popped out of its socket. Yeah. How do you get that? How do you get your thumb behind his eye and and not crush it? Oh, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, Anytime why don't you research that and get back to us next oh, week? I will. I can't, okay. I can't even remember. What, I was like really grossed out by something, and I don't know if it was the eye thing. What else could it have been? I can't remember. I, I just remember was, looking away and then looking back, and then the eye was popping out, the, and I was like, "Wow!" The when, biting, maybe. I think it was when I think Dan was, was getting his head bashed in the rocks. Yes, that's what it was. I oh couldn't, yeah, I couldn't watch. I was like, "Oh no, I can't. I can't even." That's. Can't. Yeah, he even coughs up blood at that point. Yeah, yeah he does. Right. Yeah, so. I didn't. I didn't put my hand up in front of the screen until the eye, though. Oh boy! I, I, I the eye, though. I left. <laughs> you would, you sick fuck. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> you. You are a cruel, cruel human being. Yeah. <laughs> that was just so unexpected. <laughs> sure, that's that'll be a good reason. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. That's, that's that's also my style of fighting. I would totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I just called your wife a sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he totally, he's on his cell phone right now, I, I, just like browsing the internet. Doesn't give a shit. No, I agree. <laughs> that's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you want to do you want to fight? Because we could boot up our PlayStation Four and fight fight Street Fighter Four. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be the modern male equivalent of calling say. somebody out. You're calling me out? We'll switch on your console and we'll we'll settle this like men. <laughs> well, yeah, that's something that I'm sure you noticed in the commentary. That's something I noted that not many people call somebody out in this show compared to a lot of westerns you see. You see. But when they do, it's serious stuff. Mm. Well, I think this show always tries to subvert your expectations and says, "Oh, have you seen that on uh, like a thousand times before in westerns. Okay, we're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah, but tropes. you do want a nice showdown every once in a while. Mm-hmm. A nice shootout. This was it. This is not really a shootout. Yeah. Just good old fashioned fight. Good yeah. old fashioned mud wrestling. Wrestling. Yes. Old fashioned mud wrestling. But it was basically a duel with fists. Yes. Yeah. Is what it came down to. Just kind of weird. Not something you normally see on TV. No, but something that probably happened. Oh yeah, yeah. And I kind of, I one of the things I liked was that 
it seemed like everybody knew what the rules were, you know, that they were showing that they were putting down their guns and I didn't see him put down his knife, but I assume that his knife was part of the whole thing because he'd made a thing of making sure he could see it and all of this stuff. And, and that once they did that, it was understood that, uh, that they were using their fists and that was it. And, uh, well, yeah, they got to be honorable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, eye gouging and all of that, but you know. Johnny didn't know the rules because he was telling Dan, if it goes sideways, I'll help you. And Dan's like, no, you will not do that. Right. So he didn't know the rules, but everyone else is sort of was standing and watching because it's like, well, this is ending only in one way. Yep. With one person dead. Mm-hmm. Blazanov had a really good seat for that fight. <laughs> oh, did he? I oh, yeah, he was, that. he was, they showed, you could see him sort of like at the front of the crowd watching. Oh. I'm so glad it wasn't Dan. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we haven't uh, said in our little recap here what exactly happens, but uh, Turner is bashing Dan's head against sort of like a fireplace kind of thing against stone. Yeah, fire, and fire pit stone. Dan puts his th- finger or thumb in Captain Turner's eye and until he Ugh. dislodges Ugh. the eye, the Captain Turner crawls <laughs> away screaming. Dan looks to Hurst and Al. They both appear unmoved, and that's when Dan slams a log down on captain turner several times that is the end of that sea creature looking motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) that's when i expected the gunshot when he raises it over his head it's the perfect time to shoot dan (laughs) no (laughs) i um i almost it it seemed like there al might have very very slightly nodded his head (sighs) i wasn't sure but it seemed like it i to give him approval, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I saw some comments online saying that maybe the difference is that Hearst didn't indicate to Captain Turner to finish Dan off, but Al did indicate to Dan to do that ever so slightly. But I've watched it many times, and if there's a, a head nod, I don't see it, that it would ever be perceptible to Dan, because it's so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, I... it. It was so tiny, I wasn't even sure whether it was really there or not. If it is, again, it's just, it's so yeah barely yeah. perceptible. Yeah, I've got some fun facts about the about how this fight was done huh. and conceived. First of all, the props department mixed oatmeal to make that mud puddle, but it went rancid overnight, so it had to be remade. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the origin of the eye gouging. W. Earl Brown, on the commentary, he tells a story of his granddaddy punching Brown's mother's first husband in the forehead, and he punched the guy so hard that the man's eye came out of its socket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Milch wanted to incorporate this eyeball gag, but thought that since Turner is the bigger man, Dan wouldn't find himself in the position to ever take out the eye. And obviously Dan couldn't have had his eye taken out. And that's when Brown heard a story from a guy he played poker with. The, the guy's brother got into a fight at a biker bar and was in a predicament very similar to our Dan having his head slammed against something. The brother tried to push his attacker away when his finger found the guy's eyeball, and that guy lost an eye. And Milch was satisfied with this new story, and that's how they worked it into the fight, by having Dan on the ground pushing the guy's face away from him. And his thumb just sort of found its way into the the eye socket Hmm. one of the advisors on the show used to be an enforcer in las vegas and 
he would use his thumb to take out the eyeballs of people who owed his bosses money. Yeah. Oh, jeez. And they asked the guy, what happens after somebody loses an eye? And the show advisor said, well, men would scream and scream and scream. Cool. That's terrifying. Yes. Ugh. I'm just going to stick my thumb out, and if your eye runs into it, it's your own fault. <laughs> and if the guy behind you happens to push you in just the right way, and your eye runs into my thumb, it's still your fault. <laughs> Ugh. Well, goodbye, Captain Turner. Yep. Never liked you. Never liked you. Never liked you. Never liked you. Never liked nope. you. nope. Now it is night. Jack and Chesterton are in the hotel. Jack says if Chesterton were to recover, they might indulge his idleness, but since he's bound for the grave, he'll have to earn his keep. With that voice! Yeah. What exactly is he supposed to do? I don't know. Narrate the play that they're going to put on? That was what I wondered at first, but then they started going into... um, He asked him what he was supposed to do, and he went into a whole thing of... About the facility and the eye lines and stuff. And the guy seemed to get like, aha, it's sort of an aha moment or something. And I was like, okay, I'm not sure what aha that is, but well, okay. He can supervise. Yeah, maybe that was it. I don't know. He seemed to get some kind of, he seemed to know what the guy, what Jack was talking about. I like this sort of um, coaxing of Chesterton, sort of saying, "Yeah, you're dying, but you have to earn your keep." Yeah. In our profession, you gotta you gotta contribute, and he's just trying to push the the guy into giving him giving him a job that he probably doesn't need to have, but we give him something so he has a purpose so that he can keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's he's acting kind of insensitive mm-hmm. and saying like, "You gotta earn your keep if you're gonna stay stay here." But it comes from a good place. It comes from a, a place of respect and love. Mm-hmm. Gonna just keep the guy, gotta push the guy to keep going for his own good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Downstairs, Jack is assigning duties. Bellegarde is tardy and he doesn't get a task. Jack will do community outreach. Countess will oversee costumes and reconstruction of the bordello. Claudia is the second on costumes and reconstruction, but in charge of hiring laborers. And then we, Learned Jack's philosophy that 20 laborers at $2 a piece will create more theater lovers. So that last guy who came down, they said he was doing something that he's always doing. What is that? He was late because of the usual reason or something like that. Ginger on your bum. Yeah. What's yeah. that? <laughs> was that? Was that? I think so. I mean, in, in England... Ginger means redheads, but well, so so does it does that mean that here too? I think it means ass fucking. Well, <laughs> that's yeah, I yeah that's what I saw. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. When really? He, when he sat down, he like kind of sat down uncomfortably. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ooh, and, By the way, and look up. <laughs> yeah. Or don't look up figging. No, thanks. I'm gonna do it. No, don't do it. No, <laughs> I don't want to see. Was that something that they said? Figging? Mel, tell us what you find when you find figging. Well, it says to dress someone up to look smart. But I'm going to look at the Urban Dictionary. No, you really don't need to look at the Urban Dictionary. I found it on several websites. Oh, Wikipedia. Yeah, the word it's, a sl- it's a peeled ginger root shaped like a slender butt plug. 
inserted into the anus without lubrication of any kind. Aw, that hurts. The ginger juices cause pl- pain and extreme horniness. <laughs> the person belonging to what? The person belonging to said anus becomes twitchy, jumpy, and very lively. The effect lasts for about 20 minutes or more, depending on the freshness and strength of the root. The root can also be applied directly to the clitoris or inserted into the urethra. Just be sure the sliver can be retrieved. (laughs) Also, after peeling the ginger, wash your hands afterwards because ginger juice in the eye just plain hurts like a motherfucker and is not fun or horny inducing in any way. The word comes from the 18th century. Unscrupulous horse dealers would insert a peeled ginger root into the anus of a slow or half-dead horse. That's mean. The horse would become lively and hold its tail better. The spelling was fig, but over time became figging. And then there's sentence examples. Do you want me to read them? (laughs) Please. (laughs) The bound submissive quivered in anticipation as her master slowly peeled the finger of ginger that would be used to fig her. And Mistress Karen loved figging her slaves when they misbehaved. They writhed and begged so beautifully. <laughs> oh, good grief. This is amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. This, these are the worlds that we ex- expose to you. Wow. Dear listeners, did you know about figging or the art of figging? I didn't never know. Heard, I had never heard of it. I didn't know this would, like, you know. I feel like this is, like, inserting any kind of food into yourself just invites uh, all kinds of grossness. Just, like, rotting and grossness. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. People, you be crazy. Slowly insert the finger into the sub's anus. Don't rush here. Take your time. Wet ginger is slick enough to slide in with care. When the anus finally opens and accepts the ginger, slide it in, up the ring, and let the the sub close around it. The beauty of ginger is that it takes a little while for the effect to take place. Once it begins, it begins steadily. While you are waiting for the fun to begin, go wash off your hands. You don't want to touch your eyes or your sub's eyes by accident with ginger on your hands. Now sit down in a comfy chair and enjoy the show. Most submissives will become rather vocal as the ginger works its magic. (laughs) Um, They were talking about the anus as if it was like a character of its own. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I, I think that this guy is a homosexual, and they're implying that he was tardy because he was fucking ass fucking. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought as well. And I think that's why they were delayed at the at the fort because he had met a soldier and he was shagging the soldier. This guy's insatiable. Doc has come to see Dan, but Dan declines. He is sobbing, naked. He just wants to be left alone. Doc tells Johnny, keep an eye out for respiratory problems. This part I was extremely confused by. I'm wondering if... It kind of struck me like later. I was, like, I was wondering if he was ashamed of uh, almost never... having lost. Of almost having lost? Yeah. like I wasn't sure if it was either that he felt bad that he killed a guy, but I didn't think so because he loves to kill people. Yeah, And he really hated that guy. Yeah, so I don't know if it's just that he he felt like he he almost died there, Maybe, so yeah. he felt like you know kind of like be, like be. truly terrified for the first time. Maybe he felt like he lost control there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't That's know. I mean, with what Al says later, what does he say later? 
Later on, Al was saying about the difference between getting into a fair fight and um, both Dan and he try and avoid fair fights Mm -hmm. because it's different. Uh, You see the light going out of someone's eyes and stuff, which I didn't really understand why you wouldn't see the light going out of somebody's eyes in, you know, these different things where they just killed random people, you know, not random, but where they, they killed someone that was pretty much an innocent bystander and it wasn't a fair fight. It was, you know, taking him from, you know, like either behind or, or whatever. I, I did not understand that, why that was a thing. I guess it's different when it's just, it's your hands, your bare hands. Yeah, I see that. Well, I mean, he used a he used the the log. Yeah, I don't That's really see the difference between a a club and and a knife. And a knife necessarily. It's well, maybe slower. It's more yeah, just brutal. It is br- more brutal. It's true. There's more suffering, and there was a lot of suffering there. Obviously, I mean, he also before that he gouged out the guy's eye, which you know that was pretty brutal too. I mean, he doesn't, that's true. We haven't actually see, seen Dan kill somebody in a prolonged, brutal sort of a thing before, though he indicated that he'd done it. Um, I wonder if we're looking about this the wrong way. It's not that he's uh, sad that he took a life. He's sad that he nearly died. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah that's what okay. she said. That's what she said. <laughs> I, I, sometimes I tune you out, Mel. Oh. oh um, Fuck you. <laughs> I had you all the pies. <laughs> Although there there was a slight difference between what you and Mel said. Um, both of you could be, yeah, maybe you guys both have it. Right? I mean, Mel had indicated that it was partially that he almost lost, almost uh, the pride. That's, of, yeah, you know, the, the pride. He, yeah, she came at it from the pride angle of and he didn't do a good enough job and, and I'm and, coming at it from no, a... But then, but then I said... Feeling his then, mortality angle. Yes. I said a bunch of things. Actually, I said, I said it might have been shame, but then it dawned on me right after that. I was like, no, maybe it was that he was scared that he almost died. So. Yeah. Okay, I guess I only heard the shame part. Yeah, yeah. no, kind of mixed those <laughs> two together. Because I, I, I had an epiphany the next day. I was like, was he ashamed? But then I had another epiphany when I said that epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just full like, of epiphanies. No, he was scared that he almost died. Your, your new name is Epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'll shut up now because obviously I'm just a hurricane of crazy thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys might be absolutely right. I mean, that it would make sense that it just was kind of emotionally exhausting, too. I'll read what David Milch wrote. He says, There was such a sadness in Doherty in the aftermath of that fight. Doherty is savaged by the fight. By the end, he is naked, and the entire truth of what life is like absent civilization has come home to him. He knows that he is, as Lear described it, a poor bare-forked animal. So that's an interesting interpretation. What does that mean? It means that Dan was upset because he had sort of, like, debased himself and devolved into a savage beast. What have I become? Kind of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably all these thoughts all in one, and it's overwhelming for him. Yeah. Uh Yeah, because he's not used to this kind of death and death and, uh, and suddenly being struck with all this stuff is very uh, heavy for him to handle. Yeah, okay. He's used to just killing people and it being very easy, very clean. And not uh, really as a job. 
Yeah, not really thinking about it. Although he, I mean, it seemed like he had, at various points, it seemed like he was not, um, where he was having problems with killing. I mean, um, at the beginning, they were like, when he killed Brahm and stuff, it did not seem like it was something he was too thrilled about. I can't remember. I just, unless I always always had the impression that Dan enjoyed killing, but he was always like, you know, just excited to kill people. Yeah, so I thought too. And I don't I, remember. I, I don't remember what, what how he felt when he killed Brom. Like I, I don't remember. I just remember. I seem to remember from my recollection. It's more like, uh, gotta do the job. Uh, I'm the man for it. You know that kind of thing. But think how easy that was. That was he pushed the guy off the cliff and then he came down and just smashed yeah. his head in with a rock. Exactly. This was different. It was an execution. Yes. Yeah. I guess that's it. That's the difference. Yeah. This this one he was fighting for his life when before he was just taking lives. <clears throat> and it's more like close quarters. The guy is right in his face too. He's also Dan's equivalent. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's it's like in this case, you know, in those other cases it wasn't it wasn't somebody that he could really relate to, you know, Brahm or whatever. They were, you know, some poor sucker that's gotten on the wrong side of the boss. This guy, you know, is Dan only He's Hearst Stan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he saw himself in, in Turner and more so. Like, that really could have been me. Yeah. It's like a reflection of, of himself. He really did almost yeah. die, though. He could have died. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was definitely one of those where, depending on how the day went, um, either one of them could have not come out of there alive. Yeah. <laughs> Who had a better day? Who... <laughs> uh, who was lucky enough to land in the right place to grab the right thing? And yeah, I have a question for Carla. Yes, the uh, we never really established how if you've seen Deadwood before. It certainly you implied that you had, and that it was one of your favorite yeah. shows. Can you think back to when you first saw this fight and tell me what your reaction was? I I was completely uh, roasted out, I think, and uh, terrified, but but not uh, too much because I was kind of expecting this epitome of violence in the third season because we had seen in season one with the Sai killing the the kids, and then season two with uh, what's his name? Oh my God, Garrett. No, Garrett Tillahan oh, was yeah. the oh uh, Francis Walcott. Yeah, yeah, Walcott. Sorry, and uh, killing the the horse, and now this this is this scene, and I was kind of ah, there's gonna be something, and then there was, and it was uh, worse than the others, and because of the eye, I think, mm-hmm. and um, I uh, when you see watch that wood, you're kind of used to this kind of violence, but it was uh, really uh, not terrifying but very shocking. Mm-hmm. So, seeing that on TV, we are. Really not used it to saying that kind of stuff, and it was it's a purpose actually. Uh, the intention is to make an ef- an effect us uh, thinking about how animalistic someone can become to fight with all their, their soul and bare hands to just want to kill someone there on the street rolling on the mud. It's very brutal and uh, pretty primary. I don't know. Yeah. Primal. Mm-hmm. Primal. Mm-hmm. Primal, yes. Yeah, I find the violence on this show to be very quick, very sudden, and mm-hmm. this was prolonged. This... Yeah. Yeah. 
And someone else on, on the interwebs, I forget where I read this, made the comments. So this is not my, not my, um, uh, original thought. Original thought, yes. That other shows would probably sort of end with the fight. Yeah. And in this, it's sort of like right yeah. in the middle of it. And then we get to be in, in the aftermath of it for a while. Right. Yeah. That is very true. It would have been the big culmination. And I'm glad it wasn't. Right. Alma is mixing her laudanum. Ellsworth is bathing. He has ample towels. She wants to be intimate, but Ellsworth is nervous, and he scampers out of the tub. Later, she tries to come on to Ellsworth, but he can tell she's high. He indicates he's going to collect his things and leave. It tells her, don't forget to fetch Sophia. So is he leaving her? Yeah, that that confused me a bit. I mean, I got that he he realized she was high, but... I mean, I mean, was he? Yeah, exactly what Mel said. Is he just leaving her, or is this a a temporary absence? Yeah. So basically, get your shit together because I'm leaving. <laughs> like, or get your shit together get together while I'm gone, and you'd better be better when I come back, kind hmm. of thing. Or I guess this is the first time they've been intimate. It's really. Well, yeah, I mean, it looked Unless like Unless it was some they've done it like once before, and it was like a sort of perfunctory. It didn't seem like they had. Right. No, so, yeah, really didn't. it would be their first time. Because yeah. he was so nervous. Yeah, he was not... He definitely was acting like this was not something that happened, period. And at first he didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask uh, you guys, what, what do you think were Alma's motivations for wanting to do that? Because I had thought about that, but I didn't see, like, does she get horny when she's high or she wants someone yeah. I don't know I also yeah, I think no that's idea. exactly what it is but have mm-hmm. we looked into like the effect like the side effects of taking laudanum like is that one of the known side effects is just like <laughs> increased sexual appetite like <laughs> like do we know for sure are we just guessing like uh, I remember in season one when uh, mm-hmm. Trixie asked Alma to bait that she was high for EB and mm-hmm. her Part the, the part she played was of a, a horny woman, so yeah. it's probably how she, it affects her. I don't know because mm-hmm. she, she played it like that. How she was yep. using to act. I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up now. <laughs> yeah, that was. I remember that too, and that was my my impression. Also, um, you know, yes. Eb had commented on it, and and all of that. I guess the side effects of laudanum are pretty much the same as that of morphine, but that doesn't really... I have no idea what the side effects of laudanum are, but the I know that a lot of drugs will take away your inhibitions, and if you are, you know, if you have a, a fairly normal sexual appetite, it would make, you know, and you haven't been active, it's going to make you interested. <laughs> yeah. And I think I read somewhere as well that Alma was trying to, you know, blind sign uh, uh, Ellsworth for her addiction. Like, uh, I'm going to sleep with him and he's going to become like some sort of slave, uh, completely uh, smitten with her. Wouldn't realize that she was taking the drugs, like uh, kind of using him in that way. But I don't think so. It would be just a side effect of her. Her drug use, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she's married to the man, 
she's, you know, she feels like having sex. That makes sense that, you know, that that's how she would go, you know. But it also makes sense that, you know, he would figure it out. And he's not the kind of guy to... Uh, He has low self-esteem. He thinks the only way he'd ever get any from his wife was if she was high. Come on. Maybe she actually wants you. (laughs) Well, I think he was ready. You know, he was going there until... Until until he looked her her eyes or something? Yeah, when she was just like, you know, just like totally zoning out. And she was... I mean, it was so obvious. That yeah, she, she had her head back yeah. with her eyes closed and was like... For a long time. It's like, okay, that's it what was, this is? Yeah. You have to get... He probably thought, yeah, you have to get high to be with me? Like, no, thank you. It's like, that's gross. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but not many guys would act like that. I was kind of surprised when... Uh, we know that Ellsworth is a, a nice guy, but most of the guys would go like... Uh, it's a, Pity fuck, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I asked my partner inside the wood. (laughs) So Jim Beaver offers a couple comments. Oh, good. He says that all. First of all, Alma moves the mirror because she doesn't want to glimpse herself in bed. There is a missing scene of Alma acting high and Ellsworth becoming suspicious. Mm. So there was a little bit more uh, foreshadowing of this. And originally they were supposed to be in the act of having sex when Ellsworth realizes that Alma is high. Oh. And then they Whoa. created the they created the bathtub scene hmm. instead. That was pretty funny when you saw Frantic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh geez. I have got enough towels. I don't need towels. <laughs> can I help you with your back? No. How about can I can I freshen the water, warm the water? <laughs> if anything, it's too hot. <laughs> Could I just touch your dick? <laughs> <laughs> and Molly Parker says, Alma gets an abortion, and in the aftermath of the abortion, she's, she starts to use again, and she feels so good when she's using, she thinks that all problems are soluble. Hey, I can even fuck this old man. <laughs> as long as I'm high, it's all good. Alma's put Sophia out to play with a friend. It's night. Ellsworth offers to fetch the girl. Alma says, no, I can pick her up. And he says, don't forget knowing she's a junkie, and that a junkie will even forget a child. That fucks her up pretty good. Mm. Yeah, that's true. It's like, should I should I get Sophia? No, I'll get her. But will you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I was Ellsworth, I would have insisted. You know what? No, I'm gonna get her for tonight. He'll probably he make sure that that she got her. So divorce- I would hope so. I mean, she's gotta come back home. She's probably not used to... Sp- I don't know, maybe she has friends. Do they do sleepovers back in 1877? <laughs> yes. Divorce pretty yeah, much they, is a thing, huh? That's not an option? Divorce? No. No. Um, yeah, they did sleepovers for long periods of time because because um, things were really far away, usually. She's going to have to kill Ellsworth to get out of this. She's just going to have to arrange that they have an open marriage. <laughs> <laughs> which, which was done. I... I can fuck Seth, and you can, you know, whatever. Fuck whatever yourself. you do. I don't care what you do. <laughs> Get some ginger root and go to town. <laughs> Join the figging club. <laughs> <laughs> the newspaper man will join you. He loves to form clubs, so. Yeah. <laughs> Ambulatory figging club. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you walk around with... Ginger up your ass. I wonder if they can tell. 
Can they tell? No, I feel no, like you they would can't. talk pretty, pretty specific. I think people could tell you had something well, up your butt. Well, wasn't wasn't the wives' tale that it makes you extremely horny too? So what? it was the a ginger. wives' tale. Oh, is it actually true? I, apparently. <laughs> well, didn't it say it makes you extremely horny? So if you had yeah. ginger up your butt, you'd just be walking around town with a big boner in your pants. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said you're eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> You're old enough to hear this, right? I feel right, bad, Carla. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm 18. <laughs> Your parents know you're on this salacious podcast. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not gonna tell them what we discussed. Actually, I told my mother it was a conference about social economic issues. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, and she well, can understand what I'm saying. So. <laughs> We sh- we should discuss something socioeconomic having to do with the old west, and and that way you're not a liar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> In the star residence, Saul knocks on the wall. Trixie is annoyed as usual. She crawls through the sex passage, which is like a wardrobe or something, and into his room. What? Like how it's literally a hole in the wall, isn't it? Like it doesn't even go down to the floor. She has to step through it. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like metaphorical, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Sort of a... Sex passage. Sex passage. <laughs> She's always so grumpy. Yeah. This is her normal mode. I want to pissy. See, I want to see her have other moods. They're kind of perfect for each other, though, because Saul's just like, eh, what are you going to do? This is just how she is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they. Ba- I think they balance each other really, really well. Yeah, yeah it's kind of adorable. <laughs> he's he's too laid back, and she's too high strung. Yeah, it's funny. So they complement each other really well. Mm-hmm. And they're both very smart. Yes. Yeah, they are. They are. Well, not in- Saul. Not so much in this. Scene. He's just like I don't know what's going on. Duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's he got says other things on his mind. Yeah, he's like I'm at the hardware store all day. Well, yeah. Trixie's like, you know what? Let's switch. I mean, you should be at the bank anyway, since you are a Jew. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> she tells him that Alma's back on the dope, but it's doubtful he takes her meanings, and she says it in a roundabout way. She does everything in a roundabout way. He just lets things slide off his back, though, doesn't he? As long as Saul. he gets his sex. Yeah, he's just sex like, whatever. Sex craze Saul, that's what they call him. He had ginger up his butt right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Deadwood sponsored by Werner's Ginger Ale. Shove it up your butt. Shove it up your butt. <laughs> <laughs> and then you fuck. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> At the livery, Fields can't remember where he hid the board. Seth finds it. They unwrap it, but all the chalk has been wiped away. Steve thinks that this board is a decoy board. <laughs> Hostetler walks outside. There is a gunshot. He's killed himself. This was awful. It was. This is I terrible. Know. Why didn't he kill Steve? Because he wouldn't have been able to get away with it. Well, then, then, yeah. then kill yourself. If you really <laughs> want to kill yourself. But at least take Steve with you. No, because <laughs> what if he believed in, like, uh, I don't know, an afterlife? And then he's like, you're what, not allowed if to Steve, kill yourself. what if Steve goes to heaven with me? No! <laughs> <laughs> well, he may have thought that you can't murder somebody and not get into heaven. So, yeah, yeah. So this was a shock. It was hard. Yeah, yeah, it was a shock. It's kind of telegraphed. 
in the way that we've been told that he's crazy with pride. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he can't take this guy anymore. Now, if it were me, I'd just be like, well, right, I'm leaving. Yeah. Which leaving, is what the general camp. was. Yeah. Yeah, we're just, we're going. But, <gasps> but the theory on, on the interwebs, no matter where Hostetler goes, he's going to find a Steve. He can't escape his own pride either. You know, if it's a problem that he has, if it's something that he just can't get over and he keeps finding problems with other people like that, then yeah, it's just going to keep happening. I'll read Ellen Seppenwall's comments. My take at the time was that Hostetler was already in a bad, bad place after the horse killed William, and this particular argument was telling him that he would never be free of the likes of Steve no matter where he went or how much money he had in his saddlebags when he got there. I think what ultimately sells it for me is watching General Fields' reaction. He looks so devastated, but also not necessarily surprised, in a way suggesting he's been preparing for a moment like this for a long time. Oh yeah, what happens <laughs> to all that money that he had? I was just wondering that too. I could see um, Steve, you know, like, okay, that means, you know, my debt is paid, and oh, it's like, no, Steve. Carla, I think you were going to say something and I cut you off. No, no, it, it was exactly what you were going to say that I have read that anywhere Alice Tetler would go, he would find a Steve because that's the way the world was. It wouldn't uh, stop people from, from acting like that towards him. And he was, uh, he had that pride and he couldn't handle that. So he just killed himself. I think it was a bit extreme. It was very uh, horrible, actually. But I don't know. I think it was an, an extreme reaction, too. It's because Hostetler has also met plenty of white people who were treating him respectfully. Yeah, Seth, like Tom, Harry, Alma at the bank. You know, Steve was a special case, I think. Like, he was extreme. And now Hostetler had money. Just go be by yourself. Mm, be free, build a cabin. Like you don't have to deal with people you don't want to see anymore. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes the whole thing of suicide and everything just makes no sense. I mean, that's just you know, part of it sometimes. It certainly and, seemed to manifest itself in the way of a panic attack where he, he yeah. couldn't breathe and he was removing, like, the cloth around his, his neck, his throat. He's, like, opening his shirt, like, I can't breathe. Like, like I like this is just too much. It's too much. just too much. There's a gun. And then he, he did it before he thought about it. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I could see that. But it's still, like, you killed yourself because of Steve? Like, <laughs> like yeah. he doesn't deserve that. <laughs> you don't hear very often of... Spur of the moment suicides. Usually, it's very premeditated. That's mm. what I feel. I don't know if that's true, but like maybe, I, I don't. Maybe you, he had I don't, been planning it. Maybe it just seemed spur of the moment, though, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it. Is that part it, of the reason why he came back to camp to kill himself? Looking for a, re- a re- like an excuse, like a reason. Yeah, yeah. Sort of the way that Wild Bill s- sat with his back to the door, a kind of like. Yeah. This world is just too hard. It's it's too much. Well, I'm going to throw myself back into the fire because I know that whatever happens, there's a way out for me. Remember it's going to be permanent. Yeah, remember he was kind of suicidal when they were having that campfire, when they were running away. He was kind mm-hmm. of that kind of talk anyways, so he may have already been thinking about it. Yeah. Mm. Sad either way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's such a waste. Fuck it you, Steve. 
Pretty much. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. The, the moments like these, I'm like, maybe maybe uh, the country of Brazil is correct in having laws such as putting away racists. <laughs> <laughs> so that, stuff like this doesn't happen. <laughs> Johnny doesn't quite understand why Dan is so upset, but Al tells him it's different when it's a fair fight, when you see the lights go out in someone's eyes. It's only you and death. So, so I guess they answered what we were wondering right there. Well, or at least well, their that was, interpretation of it. Yeah, that was, it didn't make sense to me, that particular, compared to what he'd been doing. I don't know. Mm, it's only you and death. It's, it's, it was so close, and it's never come this close where Dan... Dan's always on the giving end, and this time it could have gone the other way. Yeah, it makes sense that what he was saying had to do with what you and and Mel were saying about it. In a fair fight, you can see your own mortality. Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out, he may have seen himself in the captain because they were the same, had the same roles, same positions. Sean Bridger says on the commentary that the illusion of where they were filming is magnified at night because you can't see the surrounding San Fernando Valley. This this aspect of it really felt like they were thrown back in time when it was dark and they and it was illuminated by the torches. Hmm. That's cool. I f- find that the night scenes are really evocative on this show. E.B. gives directions on Hearst's whereabouts to Seth. The great man is over at the Bella Union, lamenting the death of his man. Hearst shakes hands with Jack Young, the bartender, and they shake hands, and they keep shaking and shaking and shaking. (laughs) And can I have my hand back, please? Hearst, slightly drunk, tells Seth to go fuck himself. Seth takes him by the ear to jail on the pretense of threatening a peace officer. L tells Merrick, do not print a word of this. Humiliating Hearst so in public <laughs> eliminates several of their options. Like what? Like what? What's wrong with humiliating him? Uh, I would assume that they couldn't keep him in jail, and what will happen when Hearst gets out of jail? Retribution? Revenge? You think he killed Merrick for printing a story about how he got arrested? Well, I think they just want to keep him sort of placated pacify the situation, maybe negotiate with him, diplomacy. And every time yeah. Seth does something impulsive, it makes it harder to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had Seth, it wasn't exactly impulsive. He had warned, you know, um, Al that he was, you know, he was going to take matters into his own hands if uh, if nothing changed. And nothing changed. So, my, I mean... My God, though. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go on. No, whatever. I just love it when um, Seth gets angry because his eye twitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> so great. I can't ever say that enough. When he gets angry, it's just delightful. Did you guys see him on uh, Conan recently? No, no, I saw some, oh, like, so- that it, there were clips online. I didn't get to watch the clips. Oh, you should. We can only see some of them now. They They block most of them in Canada for some reason now, but... We watched one and it's just delightful. He's great. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to try and see if they're still up here in the states. He was teaching the difference between he was teaching the difference between stage acting and screen acting. <laughs> oh right, that's right. Hmm. I have to look that up. Yeah, it's it was funny. funny. It was funny. I I liked. I mean, it was nice to see Hurst get some comeuppance. Yes, and basically Hurst got comeuppance twice. Once by the captain getting 
killed and once with Seth just taking him like a child to jail. I'm just hoping that, that this drives him out of town. I just want him to leave. Well, he's going to leave anyways. I know, but I really want him to leave now. Seems like he he should do some more damage before he leaves. Oh, probably. By should, I don't mean I want him to, but that, no, that's... That's for drama. Know. Yeah. <laughs> for drama's sake, you know. Yeah, that uh, that he wouldn't leave. He wouldn't leave feeling like he was leaving with his tail between his legs. Mm-hmm. He would want to leave on a note of strength. Yeah, like I'm leaving on my own terms. I've done all this damage on you now, and now I can go. He wants to have the last word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, didn't he even say that one time? Did he? I can't. I don't know. Seems like there was something about him having the last word. He's the type of guy that would want to do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I, He still doesn't I'm, have Alma's gold claim. Right, he doesn't. I am sure that he's going to do some horrible things before he leaves. Fun, fun times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is I have fun. A feeling, I have a feeling we will hate him even more before he actually leaves. Your predictions. Carol predicted that Hurst and Cy join forces. Well, they sort of have already. Yeah, it seems a lame. You also predicted that uranium is discovered in the mines and the cannibalistic pigs have two-headed babies. <laughs> that was just for you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> who else Who else are your predictions for? I mean... No, I mean <laughs> who else listens Not for to yourself. I guess for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt predicted that someone has two dicks. Ugh. <laughs> Grow up. Oh. And Evie and Richardson merge somehow. <laughs> and Mel predicted that Alma and Leon performed the beast with two backs. What does that mean? It means that she thought play? that Alma and Leon would have sex. Oh, sex. it sounded like a play. They would perform it. The beast with two backs. <laughs> it's a play. They're putting it's... on a play for the town. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a very racy play. How did you? Wow. How did you know if that's what my meaning was? You don't know. You just wrote but it down. But but that's I, I could have meant it as, as a phrase. Yeah. No, but I could have meant it as a play. I could have not meant it as you know sexual innuendo. If you say that's so. Not, that's not innuendo. <laughs> that's what that phrase means. <laughs> Whatever. You also said that everyone will pair up in a sexual position and they'll be stuck together the entire episode. The Curse of the Two-Headed Beast. You will see a human centipede. <laughs> Guaranteed it. Now that's sexual innuendo. <laughs> uh. oh, mercy. <laughs> mercy! For your miscellaneous prediction, I wanted you to predict how many minutes before we had the first utterance of the word cocksucker. Carol said three minutes. Mel said five minutes. Matt said 13 minutes. I clocked it at 20 minutes, 15 seconds. Wow. So we're giving the point to Matt. Woo! Oh, that's right. It was uh, something else that was said constantly at the very beginning. I remember now. I did offer a bonus point of who was going to say cocksucker. Carol said woo. Matt (laughs) said sigh. Mel said Al. And the person who said it was Al. It's always L. Yeah, I feel. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> he also I gets, miss Wu. He also gets the most lines probably in episode. He says yeah. of her plants keep coming to the cocksucker. 
<laughs> so Mel, you get a point as well. Yay! Yay. Congratulations, Matt and Mel. <gasps> Thanks. No, Wu wasn't in it. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have our guest, Carla. Why don't you read some feedback for us? Uh, okay. Why don't you read this feedback from Harold? Hey, Harold. Uh, this episode is dominated by the brutal fight between Dan and the captain. Of the three uh, really brutal fights in this show, to me, this is the most memorable and gruesome, mostly due to the physically. physicality. Of those two guys going at it. And of course the eye gouge. Uh, the other really memorable moment was Seth's humiliating arrest of hers. Pulling him by the ear and marching him across the muddy streets for all to see. I had forgotten uh, how this moment was built up throughout the episode. Beginning with Bullock trying to reign in his anger over yet another carnishman being murdered in broad daylight. And all the Stephen Hostetler craziness as well as Hurst having an, an unusual moment of feeling low and perhaps feeling like a cap, cap on after his man, the captain, was defeated in front of everyone, leading him to do something he probably rarely does, which is to go get drunk in public and doing so without someone watching his back. This was a bad and combustible combination that isn't likely to end well. As for Hostetler, I didn't really feel that his sudden suicide worked for me. On the other hand, I can't imagine how any black person, let alone a proud man like Hostetler, could endure living in such an openly violent racist society. But at, at this moment in the story, Hostetler has been able to return, sell his livery at a fair price, and live without harm, which is a lot considering the events that precipitated his hasty exit from the camp last season. Did Steve really say anything this time that is so much worse than anything he has said before. And why not go out with a murder-suicide if you can't take it anymore? <laughs> what you guys said. Yeah. By the way, did Bullock have any idea what was reading on the, that blackboard? I am not so sure Steve really wanted to, uh, to Bullock to find and read his confession. That's true. Uh -huh. I really enjoy uh, watching Alma's stone face. She seems to be so amused by everything, including that groovy potted plant. <laughs> <laughs> but what was with uh, Ellsworth's uncomfortableness with her before he realized that she was using again? I am wondering if they were avoiding sex after her near-fatal pregnancy. I give this 9 out of 10 fucking spasms of sex interest, which I fucking pray will be brief. Harold. <laughs> 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 Oh, now I just think it would have been funny if we had gotten a, a POV shot from Alma where like everything was like in a cartoon in bright colors. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It is kind of like, have you ever seen The Beach? Was Leonardo DiCaprio uh, running through a video game when he was high? Mm. No, actually he wasn't high, he was just going insane. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. Oh. I remember when um, in a very Brady sequel... When one of the characters took mushrooms by accident and oh. tripped out and it went all animated. <laughs> That's crazy. It's a great movie. <laughs> Is it? Oh, and the moment of Hurst shaking Jack's hand, kind of going out and being drunk in public, which is, as Harold said, probably not something that Hurst does. He doesn't socialize with lesser people. Yeah. That uh -huh. in, for some reason in this moment, George Hurst felt like he had to 
connect with somebody on a human level and feel maybe human for just the briefest of moments. And he went to get drunk and he shook the hand of a guy just to get that, that human connection. And that's how he was affected, how much he was affected by Captain Turner's death because it really put him down towards to think like a human being. Mm-hmm. Sort of knocked him down. Yeah, from yep. his high horse. Yeah. Yep. He was used to being able to do anything to anybody. And, uh, yep. Some feedback from Nutty. Carol, why don't you take this one? Okay. What a name for this episode. Steve washed, but his face was still covered in dirt. <laughs> I like how Al drinks out of teacups. Yay, the chief in the box is back. <laughs> Dan is the man. I was watching the fight, talking to my TV, saying, Gouge his fucking eye out! And then oh my god, nutty! Calm <laughs> down! <laughs> Captain Turner was a hard man, but Dan had more fight in him and was willing to go there. Turner opened that option to him when he bit his ear and then smashed his head on the rocks. Though I think the fight upset Dan, I don't know if it's because it was the first fight that Dan was in with someone of his size and skill, or because it was a brutal way to kill someone and eye-gouging was far messier than just slitting someone's throat. Because Dan isn't a stranger to killing someone, so what about this has him up that upset? I guess we got an answer about is Alma and Ellsworth having, a marital, having marital relations. Poor guy is too embarrassed to make a move with his own wife. Poor Alma had to get high to have the courage to approach him. Is that why she was getting high? And then he leaves her. My heart is breaking. I totally ship Elsma. Hostetler killed himself after all of that. I feel as frustrated as Bullock right now. Yeah. I'm thinking from watching the scene in the bar that Hurst wasn't a drinking man. Or rather used to be but stays off it for reasons. And that was his first drink in a while. He looked nervous to drink at first. Seth arresting him was great. I love how he held himself back and waited for Hearst to threaten him so he could arrest him. He may not have proof of his real crimes, but threatening the sheriff in public, he doesn't need to prove what the whole town saw. I love how he grabbed him by the ear and walked him out of there. That was better than the arrest. Nuchas, host of <laughs> host producer of Nutty Bites. Uh, first of all, I prefer Almsworth to Elsma. But both are good. <laughs> I think Ellsworth is super cute. Jim Beaver is yeah. really a sweetheart. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, but I, I want good things for Alma too. And, and it would be really good for her to be with him. Even if she, she, he is not her romantic ideal. But You know, my heart really hurt when he was, she touched his face and he was like, it's probably scratchy. And she said, no, it's not. And I was like, oh, that's, oh. It's just so heartbreaking. Like mm. poor guys it, only trying to do good. It it was so nice in that one moment when he you know, when it looked like, you know, they were going to make that connection and they kissed yeah. and that moment afterwards where it was took him a little while to realize what was going on and then it was kind of heartbreaking when he realized what was going on. And that yeah, I will see. It was really good. Oh yeah, they did such a beautiful job. And Jim Beaver said on the commentary that so much had to be conveyed with looks, mm -hmm. not so much dialogue. And after hours of 
performing the scene, he didn't know if any of his looks were conveying any sort of message at all. Or if he was just mugging, is what he said. But Oh, he's far from mugging. It was great. <laughs> it was yeah. a great scene. Yeah. It would yeah. be hard as an actor to know if you're doing the right expression. If you're making the right expression. You can't see yourself, you know? Until after. Yeah, you just have to have faith that... that uh... Yeah, I mean, I understand when he says, after hours, you know, it it doesn't come as naturally as it does beginning you know and and you start kind of it's tempting to push the emotion and then you can end up just mugging the camera and you have but to have you have to have faith in how they're going to edit it and how they're shooting mm-hmm. it framing every shot are they catching mm-hmm. this glance like i have i can't i don't have a word to convey this thought that i'm having right now so i have to i have to say it in my face with this you know like my eyes dart or something but are they going to take that shot are they going to see that and use that like you have to hope that they do it right yeah, and they did. Yeah. yeah, he was really good in this one. I'm going to play some audio feedback from Hasso. Hi, guys. It's Hasso Stetler. Just taking a break from the livery out the back to give you guys some feedback for Series 3, Episode 5 of Two-Headed Beast. I was loving the waits for our scenes at the gem, uh, with Dan on edge ready to fight the captain, uh, Silas always looking very cool, and Johnny trying to deal, deal with things the only way Johnny does. That's either bouncing between some kind of uh, friendly puppy persona with his mates, or uh, you know, and then uh, awkwardly berating someone who's lower ranked than him. Well, that was really good. Uh, and and that, that, those scenes really made me think that here we are at Series 3, um, and even though these guys are supporting characters, they each have plenty of depth, and the absence of any of them at this point would really be noticeable. So that was just a great testimony to the um, quality of, of Deadwood. Uh, and towards the end of those scenes, I, I really love that moment, Dan, um, you know, that Dan's look of vindication and determination. The instant he got the go-ahead from our, I just thought at that moment, that's a man on a mission. The death of Hustetler was so tragic. He literally had the goal, but was obviously too, uh, obviously still pushed over the edge. What a miserable last few weeks that poor guy had. That's such an awful ending. Alma, she's officially off the deep end. Uh, Ellsworth's heartbroken reaction of disappointment and disgust partway through their kiss clearly set a new low for their relationship uh, that I just don't know um, if they'd actually be able to recover from. Uh, The fight, that was just a crazy, brutal, intense and animalistic fight for survival. I love the dirty, the dirtiness and the grittiness of it. Essentially, it's the complete opposite to a, a Matrix fight scene and the like. Um, and that's <laughs> yeah. definitely refreshing to see. Uh, and I found it just carries so much more realism, obviously, and, and a lot, a lot of impact. Other great highlight of this, um, episode was it was so good to see Hurst finally cop it. I loved seeing him lose some control. Um, also feeling some loss for the captain and the cherry on top was, just Seth manhandling, or should I say emasculating him, dragging him through um, uh, through the thoroughfare like a spoiled little shit by the ear. That was, you know, really uh, satisfying. Uh, I think that was Seth's uh, defining moment so far in the whole whole series to date, and, and that was a perfect ending. So, yep, Seth was a, a champion this episode, and um, I think that it was a really good episode, um, and I think it was really worth a nine greased-up fighter out of ten for me. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Interesting defining moment. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh. We had a bit of foreshadowing of how Hearst does not like to feel emasculated. And I oh, like yeah. that 
also connects the being pulled on by the ear in public as emasculating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys think that the relationship between Alma and Ellsworth can recover? She has to get off the stuff first. Did they ever really have a relationship? I don't know if they had one to begin with. She seemed happy at their wedding. Yeah. Or after the wedding, during the wedding party. I think they could have a relationship if if she actually wants one. So many times it seems like she's put up an awful lot of barriers to them actually having a relationship. Her standards may be too high. Yeah, she has high standards. I think for everything. Yeah. Because of her social position that she's always been seeing. Also, she was in an unhappy relationship and all of that, so that, you know, she's got that baggage yeah, that's, that she's that's, carrying. Sometimes that's a choice, you know. You can choose to be happy with your situation. Mm-hmm. You can choose to be really unhappy. Like, the guy is obviously treating her pretty well. Like, you know, when they get yeah. along, they get along really well. He takes mm-hmm. good Sophia, like, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just thinking, like, you know, a lot of people make... This is basically an arranged marriage. And a lot of people make arranged marriages work, you know, if they want it to work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge difference between Brom and Ellsworth. Yeah. And, you know, it's... And there's a huge difference of why she got into the relationship and everything else. I mean, it was her choice and she's kind of in charge of the relationship anyway. Mm-hmm. And she's in the position of power. She, I feel like she could make this work if, if she wanted it to. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a nice guy. Mm, I know. You know, he's a really good person. And he treats her really, really well, and he w- he lets her be herself. I mean, to, you know, to a certain degree, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he tries to keep her from screwing up, but yeah. so far she hasn't let him do that either. Mm. But I don't know. Is that maybe that the? Uh, it's interesting that we keep bringing up he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy, but it may not be enough. Yeah, is that enough? Like. Yeah. I know a lot of nice guys, but like, nice, he's nice friend zoned by her. That wouldn't be enough if if she was choosing, if she had a choice. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, there's more to life than, you know, there's there's passion and there's this and there's that and the other thing. But that hasn't been a choice for her. And so she's moved from a relationship with a horrible, egotistical person who had no real respect for her you talking about brahm brahm yeah i don't think i never got that impression i always thought he was naive just a dumb guy just kind of dumb but i never got the impression that he was egotistical well he did proud i guess proud you know he had money and but he didn't seem to care that alma was drugged up all the time like he did or didn't know he didn't know yeah, she didn't. said that he he even <laughs> asked her like, "Why do you take that medicine?" And she's like, "You know, silly, it's for my headache. I'm a woman, like it's woman problems." And he's like, yeah. "I don't want to hear anymore." That doesn't yeah, mean that he's egotistical. He was, uh, he was egotistical like crazy. He kept saying he thought he, you know, was the smartest guy in the world, and he thought she was stupid, and you know, she was the woman that you know, and all of that. He he often, you know, like preened at his own. Um, you know, how he was, 
he was taking these guys to the cleaners type thing and and you know they were just feeding his ego like crazy and uh and he you know didn't want to hear from her at all she tried to warn him he didn't want to hear it he he was you know it was a it was a totally different kind of relationship and although i'm a big believer in marriage for love and all of that stuff um you can certainly make the best of a of a situation that you're in and can't get out of. I had also heard that the fight scene between Dan and Turner was supposed to be more choreographed, but Milch said, scale it back, make it more realistic, make it more brutal and kind of just unspectacular. And it's kind of just brutality and primalness. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I thought it worked really well. Yeah. I, if they had started in on some kind of, you know, Especially if it had been an anachronistic kind of thing where it's like, okay, all of a sudden we're doing martial arts in a society that never heard of martial arts. <laughs> they should have, they should have <laughs> crouching tiger, hidden dragon style, like waifu, yeah, exactly. like into, into the treetops, into the pine trees. <laughs> 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 yeah. Or like when they did the whole thing with Sherlock Holmes that, you know, the Robert Towney Jr. thing where they were doing all of a sudden, he's trained in martial arts and stuff. I'm like, really? So kind of funny that Hasso brought up the Matrix t- style type of fighting. I was like, I kind of want yeah. to see that now in Deadwood era. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be hilarious. I think it probably has been a a mix up of martial arts and westerns. Oh, probably. Oh, yeah. In the last in the last thirty last couple years. years. Yeah. yeah. There's something on AMC right now, isn't there? That's like a that's just like that. I mean, when you come right down to it, uh, the first one was the series um, Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where that you know, that's where the whole thing started in Western culture. That was Bruce Lee's idea, and he was right. You know, just too bad they wouldn't let him star in it. Yeah, it's called Badlands. It aired on it aired on AMC, and I really think it. I think it was a mashup of westerns and martial arts. When was that made? It aired last year. Oh, okay. Hmm. I heard that it wasn't very good. Oh, too bad. And I don't know if it was renewed or not. Yeah, they tried to mix success with the, to mix up success with stuff like Jane Austen and zombies, and think it's gonna work just because they're both good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not like the what was it? Uh, Abraham Lincoln's. Vampire vampires, vampire <laughs> I, I, I couldn't. I could not even watch the advertisement for that when it came on the when we went to movies and stuff. It was just like, tell me when it's over. <laughs> I can't watch it. <laughs> Matt, please read this feedback from Barb. Okay, Barb. Barb. Oh, come on, be nice. <laughs> uh, Is this the one that's been sitting here for a while? Yeah. Okay. Barb. Has the group ever discussed Merrick's competence as a newsman? I was, <laughs> I was trying to remember while marveling at how oblivious he was to Alma's condition during their interview. Boy, Trixie had figured it out, but then she would. Uh, wonderful face acting from Paula Malcolmson. And then the words Merrick chose to describe Alma to Blazanov elevated, radiated, radiated in spirit. Indeed. Cute script writing there. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> They're being cute. And then he finally seemed to look thoughtful, but before he could maybe reflect a bit on the banker's suspiciously happy mood, 
Blazanov drew his attention to poor Pasco dumped on the thoroughfare like so much trash. Not drunk, as Merrick assumed, with, without looking closely enough to catch sight of the enormous knife stuck in the, his Cornish heart. <laughs> Not exactly an investigative journalist for the ages, are Merrick. <laughs> True. As the number of remaining, remaining episodes dwindles, I'm getting really, uh, getting really resentful of any on-screen time devoted to the acting troupe. Most of all, to a meeting to decide who sits on which committee. When the when the only thing a scene has to recommend is it has to recommend it is is that oh, is there an extra it in there? When the only thing a scene has to recommend, I'm gonna take one out. When parp. The, parp. When the when the only thing a scene has to recommend is that it didn't depict Con Stapleton enjoying sexy time. It's pretty goddamn useless. <laughs> I don't care about this old sick guy and i really don't care about hemorrhoid guy (laughs) (laughs) she read that wrong Uh, i love brian cox and rita sue too but enough already maybe maybe it's also a remedy for hemorrhoids though Mm. maybe it solves a lot of problems (laughs) ellsworth has ellsworth uh, ellsworth ellsworth (laughs) maybe it's not her maybe it's you no (laughs) there was an extra it uh ellsworth has left her because Alma's back on the laudanum, right? But would he really abandon Sophia in that event? I have trouble with that scenario. What do the rest of you think? I think he's going to steal Sophia away in the night. <laughs> hmm. Breaks my heart that after the wonderfulness of Steve si- of Steve's signed confession last se- season. Last episode. I fucked Bullet's no. horse. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. That, yes. It ended yeah. up being the instrument of Hostetler's undoing. What a, t- what a turn up this show! <laughs> turn turn up, not a turn up. Yeah. For those of uh, for those of you listening who can't see her email, a turn up. This show is probably how it was supposed to be said. Yeah. This show, uh, it's true. The board really comes back to be a point of the plot that is his undoing. Yeah, that's interesting. I again, I like the theater troupe. I know it's not really the most um, pressing of plot. Yeah, I like no, the theater too. I just like Jack. That's about it. Yeah, I like Jack, and I like Ginger Bum. <laughs> Probably just because I'm a theater nerd. I just think it adds different dimension aspect to the camp. It's interesting yeah. to me. Yeah, it's a different kind of group of people, and it's a little just a bit of extra color to the show. I don't need I don't need it to be any great thing. And I feel like all the other important plots are being serviced right now. I don't. I guess I'd like to spend a little more time with Doc, but other than that, I I feel fine. I think I'd like to also know a little bit more about um, Hurst's cook. You know, get her in there. But I assume she'll be she'll be coming around at some point. And we have one final piece of feedback, and this is from Corey Mel. It's your turn. Oh, Corey. Ugh. No. <laughs> Happy. <laughs> Corey, just, don't listen to her. Please I was just, don't listen to her. I was a little sad that I couldn't kill Corey this week. Oh, you uh, maniac, you. Hello, Hoopleheads. I've been waiting for this episode for quite some time. The big showdown in the thoroughfare is all I could remember about this episode. And I would have sworn on Captain Turner's life that this is how the episode ended with violence worthy of other HBO giants. And then in brackets, The Wire, which coincidentally also featured a character whose eye had popped out, although not on screen, or Game of Thrones, or even Boardwalk Empire. 
I haven't li- yet listened to the commentary. Oh, that uh, that could warrant you some murdering. But until that's, that's, that's a maiming. <laughs> that's a maiming for sure. But until this last episode, I had expected that Mel would be the one salivating at the salivating <laughs> at the prospect of a Dan and Captain Turner fight to the death. However, it sounds like her other half shares her thirst for violence. So I can't wait to hear who is more excited. When did you share my thirst for violence? I don't know. Uh, the previous recording, you said you wanted Dan to kill the captain. You said it twice. Matt did? Yeah, I think you said it twice. I stand by it. So yeah. I want Dan to kill the captain. <laughs> and All I right. went, ooh, I know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, prediction accurate. Um, <laughs> The first, and until just now, only time I watched this episode, particularly the fight, left me pretty pumped. Who else does Hurst have protecting him? Is that why he's gotten himself arrested? What will happen next? Whose terrible and violent destruction would we witness? (laughs) (laughs) If you were to go back and listen to some of my predictions and past feedback, you would hear ask what would happen to Joni's chez amis and offer up suggestions that it would be used as a schoolhouse or perhaps a theater. Accurate predictions. While I doubt Martha sent any misbehaving children to the murder room to scrub bloodstains, it is possible that General Samuel Fields will perform as the new Langrish at the new Langrish Theater when it when it opens. Is that what he's predicting? I also predicted the widow Garrett would get hooked back on her laudanum, and she has, although it is not blue. I guess that's a Breaking Bad reference. Yeah, maybe he predicted that the laudanum would be blue. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> what other predictions did I make that will come true? Let us wait and see. Such a tease, Corey. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Mr. Hostetler has met his end, although my memory has told me that he was the one tarred and later killed in season two. I was quite surprised when he survived season two and returned to, to camp in season three. It's funny how memory works. With that, I bid you adieu as I wait in anticipation to Carol's reaction to a certain event in a future episode. And then he signs it off, waits for the sound of a gunshot before signing Corey. (laughs) (laughs) Carol knows something about a future episode. Oh, right, I do. But we won't talk about that. No, we won't. We won't. But it's been... We won't talk about that. I was just going to say... I want to tell Corey that I don't use guns. I fight dirtier than that. Oh, man. Yeah. She's the Dan of the podcast. She'll yeah. put a knitting needle in you. Yes. Those suckers are dangerous. She'll stab they you are. with a needle and then she'll knit you like a little shawl to put over your corpse. <laughs> I don't think she's that. The nefarious needler has struck again. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's that thoughtful. Oh, yeah, I am. Are you? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know you very well, so. You don't know me very well, Carol, obviously. No, obviously <laughs> not. <laughs> All I right. learn something new every every two weeks. <laughs> well, thank you for the feedback, Harold, Nutty, Hasso Stetler, Barb, and Corey. Hasso Stetler? Hasso Stetler. That's what he called himself. <laughs> Great. Love getting feedback. Okay, let's rate this episode. Carla, as our guest, you may go first. I love this episode. I think it's one of the best, uh, of the best of the show. And I'll give it a 10 out of 10. And I just realized I haven't thought of a rating. So, uh, 10 you out of 10. You have one job. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cannot attend awkward marital almost relations. I don't mm. know. <laughs> as awkward as anything was. <laughs> this rating. Sorry. 10 out of 10. I think great. 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 Okay. Carol. Um, I did like the different pieces of the episode, uh, but again, I kind of felt like it was a betwixt and a between oh, sort of boy. thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I, I felt like it was, you know, like there was, it was just leading to something else. I don't know. Um, I gave it seven out of ten weird sex games. Okay. Matt. I liked it a lot. I liked everything about it, basically, except for the acting troupe, who I don't know why they're there yet still. Um, yeah, it was exciting. Um, stuff happened. I was I was glad to see uh, Hearst kind of get his <laughs> a little bit. Um, the Alma and Ellsworth stuff is interesting, <coughs> though sad. Uh, I'll give it a 9 out of 10 lungfuls of thoroughfare sludge. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mel? Mm. Uh, yeah, this episode was pretty good. Um, I'm trying to gather my thoughts, but they're pretty much all gone. <laughs> um, parp. <laughs> I'm gonna give it. I will give it uh, I feel like I've said everything already, so I'm just going to give it an 8 out of 10 sexy vegetable roots. Oh. Uh, I was going back and forth on my rating. I was Originally, I was going to give it a 10 because it's such a standout, that fight, such a standout moment. But then I was like, well, I don't know. I don't really know if I really like how Hostetler killed himself, if that felt believable. And we can try and justify it, but it didn't feel quite earned. Mm-hmm. Actually, I agree with you. Uh, 8.5 Okay (laughs) But I I did think the fight was pretty spectacular and I enjoyed all of the Alma Ellsworth interactions It was pretty heartbreaking when he he looks at her and she has her eyes closed and it's just sad It's because he loves her and Uh she has to dope herself so that she can be with him It's if at least that's what he was thinking, and that's very sad. I'm amused by the theater troupe, and they gave me uh, figging, which is something I had never heard of before, and now it amuses me. So I thank them for that, and of course, Seth pulling Hearst by the ear was very satisfying. I didn't find this had very many quotes, I guess, because there's a lot of just there's a lot of action in the middle, so they didn't have the dialogue. So I, I have to give it a nine point five. I'm gonna give it um, a nine point five out of ten. Handshakes that just seem to go on like too long. Like, um, <laughs> can I have my hand back? I have got stuff to do. This fucker keeps shaking my hand. I gotta. How long do I have to keep shaking this asshole's hand? Ridiculous. <laughs> okay, character of the episode, Ooh. Carla. Uh, I have thought about it, and my favorite characters are all my and all, but I think Seth is the. Is the man of the episode how he handles the situation? He has been handling the situation with Hostetler and Steve, and then the ending that was perfect. I love that scene, and so it's that. Okay, Seth Bullock, Carol. Yeah. Uh, I've been. I mean, my first thought is Dan, just because of how you know it's all handled. But and then Seth, Carla's got some really good 
points on that. Um, I'm going to go with Dan. Vote for Dan. Yeah. Crybaby Dan. He's not a crybaby. Sobbing naked in the room. I'll tell you what, why don't you tell Dan that he's a crybaby? No, thank you. I don't want to be <laughs> murdered. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, you just go on and do that. <laughs> uh, I won't do that, but I will anonymously tweet to him and say, Hey, crybaby. <laughs> How do you feel after the fight, crybaby? You are a person of, of our time. <laughs> Matt, who's your character? Uh, I will go with Dan. I enjoyed his fight greatly. Uh, oh, Mel's looking at, looking for quotes now. I can see the big wound on his cheek. Poor Dan. Yep. That's gross. He deserves it. Mel? Actually, no, when they were fighting, I was looking at the captain's gloves. I'm sure you heard me mention this, but they're like loose-fitting work gloves. Like They would ruin your grip. Mm. I would have thought he would take those off. Yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to your commentary now that I've watched the episode. Mm. But I hadn't watched the episode till today, so I couldn't listen to the commentary. It's very informative. <laughs> Winked. Is it? No, but it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's informative into getting into my brain. I think we'll have him do one more toward the end. Mel, I never got your character. Yes, you did. <laughs> I didn't, no, I didn't. I have a big blank space in the, my spreadsheet <laughs> where your character is supposed to go. The ginger root up that ginger butt guy. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> Bellegarde. Sure. AK, and I'll put in parentheses, ginger bum. Ginger bum. Ginger bum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm tempted to say Ellsworth because he's just the sweetest and... I felt bad for him, but that's not a good reason to nominate someone because you feel bad for him. That's what I was going to say, and then I thought that too, and then I was like, I don't know who to vote for, so Ginger Bum it is. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it's not science. You gotta go your instinct. My instinct says Dan. He, w- he had a lot to do, and that was a brutal fight, so. Yeah. So I will give it to Dan. Dan Doherty. He went through a lot this episode. He did. Quotes. Carla, you have the honor of going first. Thank you. I have one quote. It, a quote. it was uh, E.B. He arrives at the gym and he said, Just uh, such acid scrutiny by former boom companions. And then the, uh, we was never your fucking boom companions, E.B. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt bad for E.B. in that moment. It's like, I miss I my friends. And they're like, we're not friends. <laughs> Oh, poor guy. Carol? Um, I guess it would be unmanly to fear I might faint. Hmm, who said that? Ellsworth. Uh, Ellsworth. And she says, please don't. Mel? Matt is looking for a quote right now. You go ahead. Uh, well, wasn't there a word that we were wondering what it meant during our commentary? And I can't remember what that word is. No. Mel's word of the episode. It's your segment. You're supposed to write down the word and then look it up and tell us what it means. Mm. The word was atrabellious. Yeah. Jack says, in the morning it meets with your atrabellious scrutiny. Sorry, I'm I'm a terrible co-host. Which which means irritable, bad-tempered, melancholy, gloomy. Yeah, that one I've never heard before. Here's a quote that had, like, it sounds like gobbledygook to me. Augment of cupidity in the iris, a healthy augury. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I have that down too, but I'm not really sure what it means either. I don't know augury. I don't know what that means. Augury is an omen. Yeah, somewhere in my head I know what it means, but I was not coming up with it. An omen. It's how it sounds here. Uh, agoru. Augury. It's, it's an omen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just <laughs> no, that's... The Latin version of omen, I think. That makes sense. A lot of Latin in, in English. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what he, he might be saying is that the camp's prospects are seem beneficial to them. That it seems like they're going to make a lot of money here. A healthy augury, a good omen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mel, quote. Engine room. This is the captain. Throw coal <laughs> to the fucking boiler and a hard right rudder. Hello, the galley. Fucking Jeroboam of champagne to the bridge immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I will follow that up with a quote from Con Stapleton that I previewed on the Defenders podcast earlier this morning. Well, what this is, sir, uh, yesterday I occasioned a fuck a woman after a considerable period of abstention, and that seems now to have thrown me unawares into a fucking spasm of sex interest, which I fucking pray will be brief. <laughs> Why would he pray? Is it too expensive or what? Painful? Well, it's, it's certainly, it's, derailed him it's like occupies his thoughts now that he's a sex crazed fiend yes. he's like i hope this passes any other quotes no yeah. i like this one from alma to ellsworth where she goes your hair looks like a porcupine <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of says it like that like porcupine <laughs> okay well if there are no other quotes yeah not a very quotable episode hmm. no it's That's not strange very- and it was written by milch himself that's, uh, maybe it's because we like we tend to go for the funny quotes, and this one wasn't a very funny episode. Yeah. Okay, so in two weeks, we will return with episode 30, A Rich Find. A Rich Find. A Rich hmm. Find. Treasure Hunt. Hmm. A Treasure Hunt? Like a, like they give out clues and they say there's treasure buried somewhere in the camp and everyone has to go find it? It's like a geocaching thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> But they actually end up finding treasure. It's Easter, and Sophia finds the biggest Easter egg. Meaning gold. Gold, gold Easter yes. eggs. <laughs> she finds the ginger root that Bellagard's <laughs> 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 Poop covered ginger root! No! I found the Easter egg! <laughs> Sophia, put that down! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just awful. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of the. Gilmore Girls episode where Kirk hid actual eggs around town and then they oh, yeah. couldn't find them all so they all started to like turn turn foul. Yeah. And, like what's that Whoa. smell in the in in the town? Like, oh, what's the Easter eggs? We didn't find them all. You used real eggs? Yes. <laughs> and you didn't make a map? No. And you put some of them in trees? What were you thinking? Like, what's going on? <laughs> anyway, Carol? Um the, uh, what was the name again? A Rich Find. A Rich Find. Okay, well, I mean, the most obvious is that somebody's going to find, you know, more gold. Somebody. Somewhere. But um, I wonder if they're going to expand it to people finding uh, riches in their personal lives. You know. Of... Oh, that's so deep. I know. I'm really a deep person. <laughs> Maybe Alma finds... <laughs> the richness in Ellsworth, and she realizes that she doesn't need laudanum to have it. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna uh, keep her off the off the junk. 
Or yeah. maybe she finds a stash of hidden away laudanum. <laughs> she's like, <"Fork!" laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> and she just sits in a shed and drinks laudanum all day. Maybe Ellsworth finds it and hides it from her, and she spends the whole episode looking for it. She, she's just in the background of every scene, like pawing through drawers. And <laughs> there's this very serious scene between like Al and Seth, and like, what's Alma doing like back there? Yeah. Don't know. They don't even acknowledge it. She's just, she's, she's just in the background walking around. <laughs> um. Okay. Well. That's in two weeks. Carla, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for, for having me to talk about the show. I love it. It was very fun. And you guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I love hearing that we're awesome. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep sending in feedback. We love hearing from you and post stuff on the Facebook group, as everyone should do. Do you have anything you want to plug or promote? Any projects of your own? No, no, uh, related to podcasts, no. Okay. But thank you very much for having me. If you were to start a podcast, what would it be about? Do you have any? Uh, Madman. Madman, okay. That's fun. The Sopranos or The Wire. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Approved. <Okay. laughs> Approved. Yeah. These are all good shows. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're all shows that I've never seen, so if you start a podcast, ah. let me know. Okay. <laughs> I have not seen The Wire, though I do have the Blu-ray set. I just haven't found time to watch it. The Sopranos I've seen. I watched it when it aired, and I liked it okay. Mad Men I watched when it aired, and I loved it. I Mad Men I've seen. I'm sorry. I, I've, Mad Men I saw as it aired, just like you said. I absolutely adore that show. Yeah, I liked it too. It was on HBO, so I got to see it while it when it aired. The Sopranos, it's so weird that I haven't seen it yet, because living in New Jersey... All the time yeah. that it had aired, I was hearing, oh, you know, they filmed in this spot and they filmed in that spot. And you can see, you know, and of course, you have to watch out being distracted by the fact that that highway doesn't go anywhere near where they say they are. And one minute they're in one part of the state and the next minute they're in the other part of the state and stuff. But, yeah, I still haven't seen it. Hmm. Well, eventually you will watch the pilot, at least, because we'll be covering it when we do our HBO rewatch project and by the way i've posted details about what the project entails on the facebook group so please go to the facebook page and read that because that's going to tell you what our podcast is going to turn into when we finish deadwood and i'm pretty much only going to be announcing like recording schedule because we're not going to have a set schedule for that we're just going to record when we have the time like, is, do we have this Sunday free? Anyone, everyone want to get together? Sure, let's do it. So it's going to be kind of spontaneous in that regard. So if you're interested in ever joining us as a guest for that phase of the podcast, you really do have to be on the Facebook group because I'm not going to do a lot of work for that where I'm going to announce things way ahead of time and negotiate guests. And if the guest says, oh, I can't make it, we're, we're not rescheduling or anything. It's going to be a lot more informal, a lot more laid back. And again... It's all going to be on the Facebook group, so please join the Facebook group. And we've got good stuff on there anyway. We post random things. We post things related to the show and semi-related. and It's it's fun. So join your uh, fellow Hooplecast listeners on the group. And find us at Hooplecast.com. Send feedback to Hooplecast at gmail.com. Go on iTunes. Leave a favorable review. Favorable. Especially if you frequent the I- the UK iTunes store. Where the English apparently do not like us. Aww. So, uh, yeah. So go on to that iTunes store and 
convince people that we're worth listening to, that we are legitimate. Didn't know the English didn't like us. Oh, uh, yeah. May I have to book a plane ticket? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just send Claire door to door. Yeah, maybe I'll hire. I'll hire. I'm not opposed to that. How many of the English don't like us? Apparently all of them, except for Russell. Oh, uh, well, Russell is worth many others. You That's will true. Be spared. You will be spared, Russell. Even Claire hates us? Well, she, no. I don't think she listens to the podcast or watches the show anymore, so yeah, I guess she does. She hates us. Well, maybe I won't hire Claire. Maybe I'll hire Russell. <laughs> <laughs> Russell will do my dirty work for me, won't you, Russell? Again, thanks for joining us, Carla, and for everyone else, we'll see you in two weeks for a rich find. Carla, you want to take us out with a fuck you? <laughs> what? Do you want to take- Say fuck you. <laughs> I don't know. That's it. That's all you have to do is say fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> we are corrupting this young lady. <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> okay. Fuck you all, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Take care. Bye.
she felt like she had to be with Ellsworth at some point, and like, this is as good a time as any. I thought no, it was. I, yeah, okay. I yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it was definitely the <laughs> Matt. <laughs> do we want to know what happened? Oh yes, maybe we do. No. Okay. Matt turned, uh, turned on his uh, video game console. There, my controller speaks without me doing anything. Matthew, just hold on, okay? <laughs> Matt just has to be doing stuff while he's podcasting. He's just so fidgety. Now, I will confess that I was playing Fallout Four while we were recording the Defenders earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> you too, Mel. Mel but wait, but Mel that wasn't that pretty. wasn't this. Yeah, this but- is more important than that. <laughs> knitting, knitting is pretty, uh, pretty brainless. So is this. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Thanks. Appreciate it. No, no, no. <laughs> what I'm doing. Yeah, that's you what mean I'm what doing. you're doing? Okay. All right. All right. Whatever. I'm participating, aren't I? So anyway, Jim yeah, Beaver I... offers a couple of comments. Uh, it's true. The board really comes back to be a point of the plot that is his undoing. Yeah, that's Whoa. interesting. <laughs> Mel got her knitting needles in my computer fan. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Boy. Oh, no. <laughs> Who won, the, the needles or the fan? I don't know. I can't tell. I don't know. It just all fell over on the ground. It's all right. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry Shrapnel that. just goes everywhere. <laughs> I think I'm okay. My eyeball's actually hanging out right now. <laughs> I'm confused as to why she's getting high, because I thought her life was going pretty good. She's addicted. She lost her child. Yeah, but then she got a bank. 